people forget now the difference if we go back a few years. But then all of a sudden, within a, a few months, every day you're reading spurious graphs, spurious mathematical models that are used to take away your rights. And people succumb to it. They believed it. And uh, I mean, that, that it, it, I'm, I'm sure it was a shock for you as well to see how people uh, acquiesced. But the ability to sit in the fence is no longer there. No. You're either going to succumb or you're going to spiritually evolve. And that is the choice. So it's, but in my view, Paul, I believe this is an eternal choice, that, that the consequences of one's life have implications in relation to the survival of your consciousness after and the state that you go into. So, so your spiritual evolution is not just about how you get by in this, on this plane. It's about no. a more eternal thing. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes back James Tunney. James is a writer and painter concentrating on the necessity and relevance of mysticism to our spiritual evolution. He previously worked as a senior lecturer, visiting professor and international legal consultant after studying law for seven years and qualifying as a barrister. His latest book, Plantation of the Automatons, is now available on Amazon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind and to live their dreams. Here is Paul talking with James about crystallizing consciousness and the dangers of technology to personal sovereignty. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, we're going to talk about crystallizing consciousness, the dangers of technology to personal sovereignty, which is a topic that I feel is extremely important. And if you don't already know why, then you're about to. My guest is James Tunney. He's been on my podcast a couple of times. He's somebody who I have deep love and appreciation for. He's written many excellent books. He's written, I believe, three books already, James, on, on the issues of today with Scientocracy and uh, transhumanism and related. Yes, certainly. Four. Yeah, yeah. Good. So what are the titles of the books that you have out on the topic that are out now? Uh, the main one I'd refer to people now are the Plantation of the Automatons, which is a, a big work uh, recently. I've done smaller works like The Empire of Scientism, Tech Bondage, and right. things and and uh, so, um, th yeah, they'd be the main ones I I'd refer people to. But they're all full of very interesting information that might shock you to your core and wake you up <laughs> from your sleep if you're still sleeping. Um, I know most people that listen to my podcast are not sleeping, which is why we want to hear from people like you, James, that are doing your very best to give us the information we need to make intelligent decisions moving forward, because if we don't, well... The future does not look very bright. So in our conversation today, James and I are going to talk about crystallizing consciousness, the dangers of technology to personal sovereignty, which is based on the book he's writing right now. So it's the tip of the sword of James Tunney's mind. And believe me, it's a long, sharp sword because James is one of the chief people I rely on for editing and feedback of my new book series. And I chose him and asked him to help me because I trust his judgment. He's got a lot of background. He's a, been an international lawyer. He's taught law. He's a, got a background in martial arts. He's an artist. He's a very deep thinker. He's written many books in mysticism. He's a philosopher. 
So if you haven't listened to my past podcast with him, get ready for a very deep man. And here we go. So James, I always love time with you and I'm grateful that I get this time to pick your brain and share it with everybody. You've spent more time investigating scientocracy, technocracy, transhumanism, and related issues than anyone I know. You've written multiple books on these important issues. Could you share what's inspiring this fourth book and your great efforts in such regard? He was James was just telling me that he's cut back on jujitsu and all sorts of things so he can focus on this book because he knows how damn important it is for us all to wake up to what's going on. So he's a very driven and committed man, and he's pretty close to my age too. So he's probably like me, wishing he could go hang out and relax and paint and, and not have to feel the pressure of the world. But here we are, both of us working ourselves as hard as we can to help people. So can you share, James, what has inspired you to put so much effort into this fourth book? Uh, thanks, Paul. Thanks for that introduction, brother. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> uh, much appreciated. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, we have a, a very good mutual dialogue, which is enriching for me, um, and it's important. We're both on the on the same hymn sheet in relation to what needs to be done. In brief, my career was in law, but my family's interests were in, in the last couple of hundred years were interested in politics, and mm. uh, coming from an Irish context, they were struggling for independence. They were involved in all the movements. When I used to talk, I used to talk to my father's uncle, and he would have been, well, him and his brother in, imprisoned many times. Uh, wow! You know, arrested at home. Um, I remember him telling me about when they dug a tunnel out of the, the one of the prisons in Ireland, uh, and there was many of them escaped. It was it was more, I think, than probably the great escape. You don't hear about that. So these were people that got involved in secret societies, in active thing against what they, the, the British Empire was what they were fighting against. Not Protestants, not, not English people, but an imperial structure. And so, for example, one of my father's uncles that I didn't, he, he died before I was born, but he would have been in prison with many of these, these leaders. His, the person in charge of his, his uh, dormitory in Wales, in, in one of the prisons, was a guy that went on hunger strike later and became a cause celebre. He would have been uh, seventy odd days before he he died, and it was a world it was a world renowned issue at the time that influenced people like Ho Chi Minh, etc. So that political thing was there. My my grandfather was a member of parliament. He was for about seven times, and, and my uncle as well, the same name as me. So so politics was there. Your your sense you can't be in that environment without without uh, being attuned in fact one of the guys, one of the guys that I remember my my uncle beating in in, in the ele- in a elect- local election was Peter Sutherland who who was very distraught after getting beaten and went on there, there after to be head of Goldman Sachs uh, head of the World Trade Organization head of British Petroleum uh, Etc. So he didn't do badly after, but when no. <laughs> a local election, Peter Sutherland, one of the, one of the biggest globalists of all time, uh, was beaten when the people had their say. Anyway, so uh, politics was very was there. I d- decided I'm not interested in the political thing, and it was changing. I saw politics change before my eyes. Ireland is a small place, 
So I had access to a lot of information that, you know, people might not see. And, and it's so small and concentrated, you can see it. If you're in the United States, you can't see what's happening in Washington. I could see what was happening in, and I could see a, a transformation. And everyone, people go on about all oh, politicians being bad. They, they weren't bad until a generation ago, not of the same, not in Ireland anyway. That's if Ireland ever achieved its independence. I'm not sure that it did. That's another story. But when I was growing up in Ireland as well, remember the troubles were going on in Northern Ireland. So if you were a Catholic in Northern Ireland, you could have been, and it happened to the Protestants, the paramilitaries as well, but, but the, not as a paramilitary. You could have been interned without trial. This is what happened in, in the early 70s. People forget. This is just up the road from where I was, was, was born, you know, and it's, Ireland is a small place. So that means you could, you could be taken from your, your home and put in prison without trial. So, but that was the same thing that happened to my father's uncles as well. So nothing had changed. Now, people talk about their freedom of expression being taken away, but you didn't really have, if you go back to when my father was born, and he was born, at, Ireland was then still part of the British Empire. Um, the restrictions on freedom of expression were, 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 you know, the army appearing when you were singing songs at concerts and that, that was standard stuff. So, so people have a bit of an illusion about the extent of, or the, 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 the amount of freedom. And I, I was talking to some old guys that were telling me about people they'd talked to that went back to the famine era, you know. So history is, it, it was very close. So that attunes you towards, power and it, uh, yeah. you cannot be uh you cannot be unaware and also i remember going out to, to a chap's house when i was small a friend of the family i remember him giving me a bonanza book you know bonanza the high chaparral yeah 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 the, the western yeah i didn't see him for years uh, the next i heard of him he was wanted as public enemy number one for being a bomb maker in the IRA and assassinating some of the well world renowned people. That was the way. That was the way it was. People getting sucked into various things. Now, of course, in the Republic, it didn't. It uh, the violence was concentrated in the north, but the political activity uh, was all was all over the place. So the point about that is that you become very aware of what the state is and and, and what nasty things the state does and uh, as well as the constitutional politics so uh, i was always interested in politics so i went into law i became a, a lecturer senior lecturer visiting professor i was uh, i set up a degree program at the time eu law i, I set up uh, things in modules and communication technology law china world trade intellectual property competition law innovative subjects uh, at the time. And I was very interested in globalization. What was this process? So I studied that by doing it, by talking to the people, by presenting papers in various disciplines, well beyond law. Uh, so when I, I was also te I was teaching business schools and international relations schools as well, informing myself all the time about w what this process was. And if you, if you go back to 1992 in the United States, remember the election with uh, with Bush and Clinton and Ross Perot. People forget about Ross per Perot. Uh, and remember him saying about NAFTA at the time, he said, uh, he said something like, 
you're going to hear a great a great big sucking sound of all the factories going south. You know, no. so, so he, he was telling what was going to happen with NAFTA. Um, so I was very interested in this international trade. Why was the United States allowing all its work go to Mexico, for example? Mm-hmm. What was behind that? Yeah, and so him, him from a capitalist perspective was understanding this was wrong. 1992, the Zapatistas in Mexico rebelled against the, uh, against the NAFTA. People, a lot of people forget that. They said, this is going to destroy our corn-based economy. This is the indigenous people. In, in. So, so I, I was very interested in, in, in this, and, and, and I, I followed and participated and studied and wrote about things like the World Trade Organization, the European Union, uh, had connections with uh, UNESCO and, and the United Nations uh, in China. Uh, I was invited over there to uh, uh, High Court of Beijing, top level kind of stuff. And I saw it from a number of different perspectives what was happening. And uh, and then the, with the Iraq War, I realized that there was all of the, the front, all of the documentation about the good stuff, about what they were going to do, about establishing an international legal order. It, it was it was all a hoax. It was all a, it was all a fraud. There was no. It wasn't there was any mistakes. It wasn't there was any. It, it was a hoax. It, it was a blatant lie. That the, the, the lot of it, and that the forces involved were sinister forces, and there was no other. There was no other interpretation. So around that time, I said, "Okay, I'm leaving the, the academia. Academia was it's been taken over." All over the Western world, the academic world has been subservient, as we can see recently in the recent health crisis towards industry. Uh, so I said, okay, I'm giving this stuff up, uh, and I'm going to concentrate on raising my children, uh, painting, and writing. So left the whole lot, turned off from everything like that, concentrated on doing, uh, I don't want to say personal development, that's that's too narrow, but just concentrated on going back to zero, starting again and, and growing from there and looking after the kids. Um, my, I had enough of working. My wife was, was very successful uh, in her job. So I said, I'd look after the kids. And it was great. It was fantastic. I hear people complaining about being at home with the kids. It's wonderful. And uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, it was great. And when you're, when you're looking after small kids, your mind can't be elsewhere. You have to be a hundred percent there. It's the same as it's the same thing as if someone is trying to choke you in jujitsu, or if uh, or when I, I go up to the lake most days here to swim, even when it's minus ten or whatever. Uh, you, you can't really concentrate on anything else. You have to be focused. <laughs> so, That's for sure. Yeah. So I didn't. I, I was painting, etc. And then I suppose I'd always been mystically disposed they began to get a bit more focused so i began to have uh, i don't want to i don't know how to describe it uh, we have clairvoyance clairaudience there's also mm-hmm. a kind of clear perception where you you, mm-hmm. you and you understand this where you get answers you can say it's from your intuition i didn't see it as coming from my intuition it's a classic mystical intervention and basically that said to me that there's been a certain failure of spiritual evolution. That was the whole premise. Now, I hadn't been thinking about these issues, but it became clear to me that that was it, that, that the prob- all the problems that I was trying, that, that were in the back of my head as well, were based on the failure to evolve spiritually. So I took I that. I agree, yeah. And, 
Yeah, but but that was a really. I know it sounds. I what, but the po- whole point was that I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't addressing. I wasn't looking at those issues. Just came in a way independently. We can talk about that some other time. And from that, in that, out of that came a a great perception about the threat of technology, which I, I'm very aware of. Technology I always have been, but it was very very clear. And that evolved into a situation where before all this this nonsense about that thing from China, etc. But before all that nonsense, uh, I wrote a book which had London in lockdowns for another reason, but it was an anticipation of of this uh, draconian legislation coming in. So I, I, I could feel that coming before the thing happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you know, when you open up your, your spiritual consciousness, you get insights that are part of uh, William Butler Yeats in 1901 wrote an essay on magic. And basically he says that we use symbols to access the great memory. If you like the great memory of the Akashic Records, whatever like that. But it's the same in relation to the zeitgeist, to other forces. And it's, it, it became important for me in relation to intuition. And out of that, I, I was driven to focus on, the, on, on this issue. And I, I came back to, funnily enough, carrying on from, it's, it's not a historic thing, it wasn't related, carrying on to, what the empire of scientism did going back from the 1920s and what their plans are. And, and, and that contextualized and specified what they intend to do. They've been planning for over 100 years uh, to do what they're doing now. So coming up and identifying the wrong issue, you'll be wasting your time, that the real issue is that the human species is coming to an end if these people have their say. Their ambition is is universal uh, they want to transform us uh, well you have an option a slave or a part of be assimilated into the machine to transform you into silicon beings i mean this is what they have stated for over a hundred years as, as a, a eugenics brought to its highest degree and there there are no rights in this there's no concept of of god whatever way you conceive that to be there's no concept of higher morality this is pure sorcery this is pure dark uh, sorcery intended to transform you and they've been working on, on the technology uh, for well over 100 years it's it's driven them so uh, I, i've come to understand and, and and seek to explain why we're going to get global governance that's i mean if if you believe if one believes for example that the united states is governed in the united states anymore you know, it's it's uh, yeah. You're, or, you're pretty you're pretty asleep if you believe that. Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is look at Biden. I mean, the guy can't even string a sentence together. How could that guy be the president of a most powerful nation in the world? Well, there's another yeah, and uh, but there's even an uh, there's even an extra element in that in that there's a humiliation involved in it. The forces that be want to show you uh, that it couldn't be so, and by accepting it, uh, they are show that they are revealing. Uh, the lack of power that people have, and this there is a sadistic element behind all this. I mean, it's 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 uh, the totalitarian system. I, I, I believe in since 2020 that we have moved into a totalitarian regime globally. Now a lot of people don't understand that, but I believe that we we have moved into what is a totalitarian regime from that day. And so I started the first talks. Public, I came back into the onto the agenda. 
the first talk I gave was uh, first set was with with Jeffrey Mishlove in, in January 2020. So I was right on the ball. And in the, in in an interview I did on globalization, I said we're talking about the future. Uh, I he released it in March, but I said that the greatest danger is of scientism. Now nobody was really talking about scientism as a governance system. Really, uh, they were talking about scientism, but not as their mode of governance. Governance. So scientism uh, is is the force, and that happened. I mean, if if, if people forget now uh, the difference, if we go back a few years, but then all of a sudden, within a, a few months. Every day you're reading spurious graphs, spurious mathematical models that are used to take away your rights, and people succumb to it. Uh, they believed it, and uh, I mean that—that that, I'm, I'm sure it was a shock for you as well to see how people uh, acquiesced. Um, but oh, yeah. the, the choice is the, the choice is no longer, or the the ability to sit in the fence is no longer there. No. You're either going to succumb or you're going to spiritually evolve. And that is the choice. So it's, but in my view, Paul, uh, I believe this is an eternal choice. That that the consequences of one's life have implications in relation to the survival of your consciousness after and the state that you you, you go into. So so uh, that's that, that's the importance. Your spiritual evolution is not just about how you get by in this on this plane. It's about no. a more eternal thing, and and that's. So, so, so to, to cut a long story short, I believe that we're we're in the totalitarian situation, which is defined by scientism, uh, and that we, we're in a kind of theatre of the absurd. It's all predictable. Some of in our conversations, we predicted some of these things about supply chain chain breaking, uh, etc., about wars. Uh, we, we we've anticipated some. It's predictable, uh, moving towards a single currency moving towards the insertion and implantation in, in your mind this is inevitable this is what the plan is and it's now the, the thing that people i hear a lot of people making mistakes saying the globalists are on the run and they're, they're breaking down the week no they're well ahead of the game they're well ahead of the game and everything is not only on target but it's being accelerated because as people uh, like malachi martin who's writing about this from the 90s the the exorcist priest, he's dead now, but he said, once it, once it starts, it can't stop. And it started a long time ago. Um, they cannot stop the, the, this momentum. So it, it, it brings you to a situation where you're, you're, you, you have to say, um, believe uh, falsely that you can be neutral uh, or just succumb to it, go on that, uh, the, the the gentle slope down to hell that C.S. Lewis talked about, or spiritually evolve. It's as simple as that. Come out of the chrysalis. Uh, so uh, in, in in many senses, I, I don't want to sound negative. That's just recognition of the force. Well, I think, I think it's important to be honest. I mean, yeah. you know, the reason I enjoy our relationship and having you on the podcast is because it's hard to find people that are brave enough to be honest, especially people like you and I that spend a lot of time looking into this stuff. And of course, with your background, you're going to see all sorts of stuff that I'm not going to see because you know what you're looking for. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm a trained soldier, so I could show all sorts of people all sorts of stuff they can't see if it comes to do with how to identify an enemy and how to handle one and things like that. 
and I can show people how things work under the hood of a car because I'm a mechanic. But, you know, without a background in international law and politics and all the things that you've got, I'm kind of looking at the show, trying to put it together with my common sense based on my own perceptual faculties. But it takes a mind with the experience and the background of yours. And you and I have a lot of other things in common. So you, you, you kind of have some of the viewpoints that I have, but you have your own. But I need to hear your viewpoints. And I think we all do because we're not international lawyers. We're not from families of successful politicians. We haven't come from Ireland where we've seen the depth of the corruption, the control, the manipulation, the warring, the history of British rule and all that stuff. So you're, you're kind of like the perfect guy to call the game in advance because you have the foresight to see what the game is before most people even see the game. So the question I have before we move on with the rest of our dialogue points and, and things to talk about is what do you feel is the motive? What's, what are they trying to actually accomplish? What's the end game and, and what are they going to get out of all this? I mean, it's, to me, it seems they're destroying the planet. They're destroying the food slide. They're destroying the topsoil. They're destroying the atmosphere. It's almost like this is a, uh, like, like they, all they want to do is mine the planet and they don't even give a shit about life. Cause I look at this and say, where do they think their kids are going to eat? How are they going to survive? And why are they spending all this money on rockets to get to the, Mar to get to Mars and, and the moon and these other places when we, we that money put into reeducating people and rebuilding the soil and, and taking care of the planet could be far better spent. And it just drives me batty because we, we all have the uh, history to know that constant warring and, and trashing each other and, and polarizing each other never leads anywhere good, but we keep doing the stupid shit. Like, like it was like, we've never even been aware that we've been doing this for thousands of years. So in a nutshell, I'd like to hear what do you think's actually their game? What's the point of all this? Well, again, I, I prefer to use evidence as opposed to guessing. And if you look at Yuval Noah Harari, he, he made it quite clear that the masters were going to be gods. So they intend to be gods. He also made it clear that the gods will not necessarily be benign gods. In fact, he was indicating that they won't be. Uh, and this is an important thing to, to understand. So the, the godlike nature will come from their belief in the power, which they are accumulating. I mean, they are accumulating what will, will be something akin to godlike power in relation to the, the plantation of automatons that they've created through automization, where we'll be, we'll be ruled by the, the machine and we'll be assimilated into the machine. So they are going to get godlike power. They'll be unrestricted by any traditional notion of God. So one of the problems in relation to the easy Western dis dispensing of God is that a lot of, your, a lot of your legal rights are dependent on the conception of God. They didn't come from anywhere else. And I, I've studied legal history. They didn't, come, they didn't emerge from anywhere else. You might have rights attributed to the clan or something, but individual rights came really from a Judeo-Christian, Greco-Roman kind of basis. So... They're going to take away your rights. There's no conception of rights. And you will live at the, insofar as you're allowed to live at their whim or the whim of, of the machine. So the first thing is gods. And the second thing, which has to be seriously considered, is the 
uh, now people articulate it in different ways. You could say the demonic, you could say the aramanic, you could say an extraterrestrial, you could say a terrestrial, but uh, evil. So uh, I believe, for example, I, I don't have any problem uh, in accepting or without having to, to, to prove it to you, Paul, but, uh, uh, that gray, the gray figures exist and are on the planet and can move into your, into your, 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 your being and they can control people. Uh, if you want to put it in other terms, are there the spirits that possess people in, in Catholic terms, that Catholic exorcists have been getting rid of. There are other entities on this earth, as you well know. Yeah. And uh, if you look at John C. Lilly, he called it quite good, and he, he's done a few interviews, as you know, with Jeffrey Mishlove. Yeah. And, uh, he wrote about the solid-state entity, and according to... Uh, his analysis, uh, what was happening was that the life on Earth is being turned into silicon, nickel, and, and iron in, in, a, in a solid-state entity, which was effectively another form of life, uh, which seemed to be ex extraterrestrial. And he said, and quite amazingly, people, people think this is fanciful, that this solid-state entity will transform the entire Earth uh, will drain the seas for its own existence. Uh, so it's no intention of being anything natural. And if anyone thinks the green movement is about anything natural, they're, they're going to be sorely mistaken. Or green. Uh, it's not green at all. <laughs> the, the way it is green is it's going to be, it's greenhouse. Oh, oh I see, yes. Plant going yes. to be living. This is, this is where it comes from. And there's a long, that's, that's what the objective is. The One of the, one of the key ideas in the plantation of automatons is that their conception of us, well, firstly, is of animals, and Yuval Noah Harari is quite open on that. Yes, well, you know, you know, you know who their uh, Schwab's and Harari's mentor was, don't you? Well, B.F. Skinner. B.F. Skinner. Yeah, 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 and and also you, you you'll see other well-known uh, uh, people as well, Skinner. Yeah, but the the. It was before the behaviorists. I trace it back to France in, in the 15th century in particular. But, but this is an old idea. People have to understand this. It's one simple idea. They conceive you not as animals. This is, that's, a, that's a, a strategic or a tactic on the way, but as plants. And that this is the thing that people don't understand. The, the model of governance is of a human as a plant. Hence, all the plantations which explain the United States. It's not plantation of crops, it's plantation of people. Yeah. And then the crops is associated with that. And then you create divisions of people that will fight. If this is what happened in Ireland. So forget about plantation in the United States. Look at it in Ireland. They bring in a Protestant population in the Catholic thing to set up dividing uh, people that are going to fight against each other. It's a plantation system. It's going on. This is why the movement of people now is to break up any homogenous group so that you won't have any homogenous cultural group that will be able to resist globalization. This is why there's massive flows of people being created, deliberately. It's plantation. And lockdowns, etc., 15-minute cities, it's putting you into a position where you're planted. Right. All of the, all of the telecommunication system, what do they call it? It's plant. That's what they call the, all, all the infrastructures, plant. Uh, you are going to be turned into a plant. So they have been treating you as animals. They're moving 
as you know on, on, from Art, Arthur M. Young and his descriptions of all the traditions that we descend from spirit into matter, and then we go, what what happens? What's the uh, at the top? We're, we're kind of a human, spiritual. Then we de- uh, we devolve, or it, we're, we're meant to be going up this way, but actually they're dragging us down. We're going from human to animal to plant. And what's the next stage? Mineral. Mineral. Silicone. <laughs> yeah. So so I'll explain how that is happening. But, so uh, they want to be gods. Uh, it, it is as simple as that. A lot of the, there's a lot of idiots that they use. Uh, when, when they have people, they, they drag them in. They're not very wise. You may have noticed that a lot of this generation are not very bright. That's why they promote people that don't have any uh, tradition, even education. Uh, often you'll see them, they were news presenters, promote, look at the, the background of a lot of these, actors, uh, that's all, that's all they, they are actors. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know that the Czech Institute is offering a sale on all our advanced training programs running Monday, May 8th through Friday, May 12th. Our advanced training programs include all the integrated movement science and holistic lifestyle coach training programs, some of which are available in the online format. When I founded the Czech Institute, it was never my intention to train the masses. It was my intention to create masters that could extend their influence to the health and fitness industries and change it for the better from the inside out. I personally invite each of you that is genuinely interested in achieving mastery at a scientific, holistic approach to corrective and high-performance exercise and holistic lifestyle coaching to join me in the pursuit of excellence. Achieving mastery not only puts you at the top of your profession and makes you very valuable to other in any arena or economic environment, but teaches you the process of developing mastery. Once you've committed yourself to developing mastery in any vocation, you understand the process of achieving mastery and can apply it in other areas of your life as well as becoming a mentor for others pursuing mastery. As you are surely aware, today we are swimming in a sea of people that are dangerously comfortable in being average. As Carl Jung so correctly said, the average man can never be successful. With mastery comes a high degree of self-confidence, self-esteem, and the ability to generate an excellent income. With the number of people worldwide that are suffering from physical, emotional, and mental health challenges, who are lost and confused as to how to create a balanced lifestyle and live a life of well-being, there has never been better job security for anyone with mastery within the Czech integrated movement science or holistic lifestyle coaching fields. You can save up to $330 on our advanced training programs and pay through an extended payment plan. You can double your savings when you pay up front. That's up to $660 savings. Anyone who registers for an advanced training program will get all their prerequisites for free. Also, an impressive savings. To reserve your spot in one of our advanced training programs, go to chekinstitute.com forward slash May Mastery. We have limited spaces available in our 2023 and 2024 advanced training programs, but would love to have you join us in the pursuit of mastery. And I hope to meet you in person so I can give you a master's hug. See you there. What is the function of having 8 billion human plants in your greenhouse What's what are they going to do with them? You, how do they use them? I mean, if they're into genocide, why don't they just 
start a nuclear world war and destroy the whole place and then collect what they want and leave. Ver you know, you, you understand? I don't, I don't get what they're actually going to do with all these people. Yeah. Um, the clearest articulation is by J.D. Bernal, which we'll talk a bit, about a bit more in his book 1920s, in, in 1929, called The World of Flesh and the Devil. So he explains it very, very clearly. And if you understand this, you'll understand as a guideline uh, what's going to happen. He said, scientific corporations will take over the world by stealth. They will establish governance uh, at an elite level. They will then facilitate the transformation of all humanity towards silicon, towards mechan mechanization. And so in that context was ectogenesis as well, the babies and the pods. That's, that's there. They don't mm -hmm. found that from the 20s. It's not, yeah. it's not modern. It's not, and people are saying, oh, we have to have a conversation about this. You have to have a conversation about it because they're going to they're gonna do it. This is what they're going to do babies and pods for, so so that's there so they had a profound hatred of 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 human nature so in this in this plan space exploration is key because they want to be able to establish a base for themselves off the earth because they know that the earth is going to be is going they're going to destroy the earth so uh, what you get you may have a choice in relation to uh, whether you change to transhumanism. If you don't, then you are living in the human zoo. Now, this is what he called it, the human zoo. Uh, now, there's a very interesting thing about, uh, about this idea. This is, this is an idea that philosophers are accepting. They're talking about the digital mention part. They're accepting that we're in a human zoo already. This is already, okay? So this is not about the future. So what will happen to those people in the human zoo? He said, the scientists will perform experiments on them, uh, often against their will. Yeah. So what you are going to be and what you probably are now is an experiment in the global lab. People don't understand. So if you look at what has happened recently, uh, unfortunately, one reading of it is that it's a massive experiment consistent yes. with plans. Psyops. Uh, this is what they said 100 years ago. Yeah, so, and they call it fifth-generation warfare today. Yeah, no, but it's more than this. They're going to experiment on people. We can talk a bit more about this. Uh, to say, for example, when Elon Musk says, you know that we can turn people into anything, into butterflies, this is the future. He's, he's, he, I mean, literally. So this is what, where they're getting. And this, that would be the power of God's Paul. So this is what they have said they're doing for 100 years. Now, here's a funny little point about that. I don't want to let it go. Uh, J.D. Bernal had a nickname, uh, and his nickname was Sage. Okay? Interesting. The body that ran the response to that recent, uh, recent bout of flu that we've all been locked up, or people have been locked up in Britain, the body that ran the emergency response in Britain was called Sage. Oh, wow. It's kind of like a, a sick joke. Another little connection to show you this kind of, there is a kind of, seems to be a sick sense of humor, like, like in a psychopath, a trophy kind of element, a kind of, uh, there's another, uh, uh, the body uh, that, that looks after, it's, it's, there's a body called Nice, and they look after health, supposedly. <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. yeah. In the United Kingdom, you know, <laughs> so 
Uh, it's called NICE, uh, National Institute, whatever. But that, that was called that from 1999. If you look at C.S. Lewis, now C.S. Lewis saw this Scientocracy. Now, I think he saw it because he heard the people. He was working in Oxford and, and he, he knew what the plans were. So he's, he said the greatest totalitarian, the greatest fear will be uh, of this Scientocracy. And he knew it was coming. It was crystal clear on that. And, and he said that this attitude will be a cancer on the human, in the universe when he was communicating with Arthur C. Clarke, who was part of this, this, this system. Uh, and what did he, he had? So he has in his book um, that hideous strength. Uh, he has a, a fictional, he called it a fairy tale for, for adults. He was trying to communicate to us what's happening. So he has a body uh, which is a satanic group of government, government scientists. This is 1943. Jesus. And he describes that they've taken over the universities then in 1943. So what does he call this institute who are satanic and have extraterrestrial input? What does he call them? Nice. Oh, wow. So, sage and nice. Yeah, not not nice and not sage. Yeah, that's right. But also, it's a kind of joke. It is a joke. They 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 they're always they're always um, rubbing it in our faces. There's a sadistic element. I'm 100 certain. I've said people don't understand this about. They go on about reason, reason, reason. One of the great champions of reason was the Marquis de Sade. The Marquis de Sade. (laughs) If people talk about the fantasy, you know, I can understand what fantasy is. The Marquis de Sade is an example of the administrators we will have in the future. There is a deep sadism in this, that a deep disrespect. So, I mean, that's why, another reason why we shouldn't, if we have chance to stop it, uh, we have to, because it really will be. It will be a sneery, smirky, sadistic, uh, evil bunch of people that we're letting that we are we are letting, and if you think that that the gods or God, whatever your conception is, is going to forgive you for yeah. for giving up your sovereignty so easily, I think uh, I don't think that uh, I, I don't think uh, he, she, it, non-exist, whatever uh, would allow, whatever way you want to conceive it, whatever way the universe is, this is not what we're meant to do. I don't think so either. Um, one of the things, though, before we move on, because I want to put this on the table to, to sort of put another side to the coin. I've read this. I've seen interviews on it. And I actually just watched a, a show on Gaia TV c- citing personal um, statements from military guys that worked in nuclear bomb silos giving personal testimony that in numerous cases and right to recent times, ET craft have landed and disabled nuclear weapons that were about to be used or be tested. And so it seems to me that there are some supportive forces from outside the planet that are trying to protect us from destroying ourselves so where do you see the balance between, I mean, every time you have evil, you have to have good or, or, or neither of them can exist. Yeah. So what, what do you see as the possibilities, external help and options for us as human beings? What, 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 what is the potential for external help 
And what are the balancing forces that we have within us that we have to marshal up immediately? Yeah. Okay. Um, and John C. Lilly uh, accepted that there was a good force as well, which operated through synchronicity. Uh, so, so he believed that that was their mechanism of communicating with us. Uh, but he, so he believed in that counter force, um, which finds it hard to get through because it needs some receptivity. Remember, remember, well, that might be why you're writing these books. Yeah, and, and, and why you're doing your work. Remember that, what does Kabbalah mean? It means, in one reading, reception. Mm. Receptivity uh, is, is critical, and receptivity is, is a crucial idea. It's the tilled field in Christianity that they talk about. It's about prep, preparing yourself to be open. It's what I was talking about, letting go of things in order to be. When I, when I, when I rejected the thing, I forgot all about it. Uh, then the, your opportunity to see things um, be, becomes clear. If you look at Edward Casey uh, uh, and his his communications, mm -hmm. if you look at Steiner, as you, you well know about, the force that represents the archetype, if you want, or the reality of the alternative force is the Archangel Michael, St. Michael. Uh, that's, the, that's the arc archangel force this is the the representative of the force that um that that slays the the dragon so steiner was very big on that he, he talked about the companions of of michael the archangel i don't have any problem from a catholic background with, with saint michael if you look at if you look at for example the uh, last star wars i didn't see i don't i don't watch films but they filmed it in skellig michael the big island off the west of of, of ireland which would have been made, the monks would have built their, their homes on this. It's a really rough place. You know, you're going back 1,500 years ago. Uh, and there's a, there's a line from, of St. Michael places from there to Jerusalem. It's quite interesting. The, the St. Michael line is very big in, in, in early times. So this force, St. Michael, comes up in all, in all the traditions as the opposing force who... Now, it's, it's very interesting about the representation of St. Michael. Usually, usually a sword associated. Now, this sword is not the literal sword, in my view. It's the sword of discernment. It's about yes. crystallizing or, or turning your mental powers into an actual force, which requires discipline. It requires the, the kind of warrior spirit, and if you like the way the Japanese made their swords. In Buddhism, um, the god Manjushri holds the flaming sword. I have her right here on my desk because she represents the power of discernment. Yes. So yes. you see that even in Buddhism, there's this concept of the sword as discernment. Yeah. This force, or a angelic force, a lot of people can see, understand it, an angelic force. The angelic forces are there. There's no question about it. If you want to take... In the Sufi tradition, you go back to Surawardi, and he talked every individual has uh, a, a man, a man of light behind them, a second person who is their spirit, who is there all the time. For other, in the, in the Christian tradition, it could be a guardian angel. This is the, the, the element of us, that we have connection with the universe. These forces are in contact with the other forces. Now, for Casey, this second force, he didn't talk about the way Surawardi did in the 12th century, but this second force aims to become a, a, a kind of avatar of this Mike Michaelic figure. So we aim to accord ourselves with this. But uh, 
as well as that, whatever the extra extraterrestrial force, the, the the beneficial ones are there. And if we look at people like Philip K. Dick, for example, he uh, and sometimes he, he really considered whether he was getting messages from from this positive alien force or Valis, as he called it, the the VAR, active living intelligence system. So there's n- absolutely no doubt the job of the mystic is to communicate with those forces. Now there are some theories, even from evolutionary uh, writers scientific uh, writers that believe that in now they believe that it's in the human population there are some people who are have a a job a role if you like a shamanic role to be able to tell when something is wrong that that's their job to protect that they're given that job by in a genetic way now i don't believe it quite like that i believe that it's inherent in every individual and in to solve this we're not going to be able to do it in any organizations because the history from 800 years in Ireland is that every organization will be infiltrated. So what it will be is a non-violent invisible army because an invisible army, you won't be able to, 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 to fight. The indivisible army will happen through individuals going through on their spiritual journey and then realizing in their own world, often unnoticed, where they can apply points of pressure in the great, uh, in the great acupuncture of the the, 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 the global system. There's also um, two points I want to share. One, having done a lot of look at research in meditation, um, for example, in the book Life Force by Claude Swanson, and there's lots of this through Ions Institute and other places, and there's lots of this in books. But what they show is that, for example, if two people meditate together, so they take groups of people and they have them meditate together for f- four to six weeks, and depending on the study, and then they have other meditators just meditate as they normally do at home, but with no connection to another person. Then what, what the study in Claude Swanson's book showed was they take, after this period, they take one of them to a lab that was 50 miles away. They hook them both up to electroencephalograms and they flash a strobe light in the eyes of the person 50 miles away. And they showed that the brain waves of each person reacts as though both of them had seen the strobe light. So that's meditating together scientifically is called correlation, which would be entanglement in quantum physics. And so now that you're correlated it's just like when people are in love, like I am sure you've probably experienced it, but I've experienced it when I'm really in love, I can know what my partner's thinking. I sense when she's coming home. I can feel when they're upset. And so I think the silent army you're talking about is ultimately as we grow deeper into our voyances, we start connecting to other people that are moving in harmony and we go into sympathetic resonance with them. And I believe that might have been how ancient cultures like the Aboriginals could communicate at a distance was through sympathetic resonance. See, if, if you have this ability and I have this ability, let's say you and I both agree at exactly the same time, whatever time it is, your time in Europe and my time here, you and I are going to do an experiment and I'm going to, for a week, send you a different message every day. Then the following week, you're going to send me a different message every day. During my week, I'm sitting there empty, holding my focus 
on James Tunney. I'm tuning into him just like I would if I wanted to talk to your soul. Then you do the same for me. Then we compare notes. And there's Jung even brings up lots of studies like this, the J.B. Ryan studies. And they found people can do this extremely well with a very high percentage rate of accuracy doing things like just holding a playing card at random, looking yeah. at the card, and then someone else has to pick up what card you're looking at. And the statistics were way beyond average. So the point I'm making is that that could be the way the silent army ultimately develops is through this sympathetic resonance. The uh, Well, the first book I wrote when I came back in, you know, from a non-academic legal stuff was called the mystical accord. And that's what the mystical accord is. It explains it. This is the key. So uh, the mystical accord is about, I wrote it in, I wrote it in, it came to me in, uh, in, um, in haiku form, in a loose haiku form, 17 syllables. So if the thing came to me in 17 syllables, I accepted it as from the force I wanted it to be. Uh, and 17 is, is a critical figure, which we'll talk about. Uh, there's meaning in, in that. So I exp this is what it is, the, the accord. So the accord first is accord with the universe, with God, uh, and the higher forces, the, 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 that which is beyond comprehension. Uh, the uh, the what what the word that came to me um, uh, in relation to because there's great difficulty with the word God as we know and but, uh, but uh, we have to use it as well. It's important not to give it away to, because yeah. they want it. Uh, but the word that came to me was the unbeknownst. That's the word that I use uh, that came to me in that context. To, the unbeknownst. It's in a way it's unbe. It doesn't exist in the same the way we understand it. But it's not that it doesn't exist, it's that it's not known to us because it can't be known. It's incomprehensible. And this is the apophatic tradition that was in early Christianity in Ireland before it was taken over. It was God is beyond comprehension. That can't we can't neti neti. It's not that, it's not that. It's beyond comprehension. It doesn't mean that it's not there. It doesn't mean that we're not a reflection of it. And it's a mistake to not see that see that reflection. So accord is the key idea. I I've the mechanism, the two me two mechanisms I've referred to as uh, explain how this could work. Well, there's a number. One, the invisible army of spiritually awake people, nonviolent, uh, crucial crucial factor because violence won't achieve that. I'm not saying there's not appropriate circumstances, but it's a nonviolent movement. Uh, it, it's a different level of engagement, uh, and we have to be persuaders as well of people that are, are against us and, and spiritual advocates. The second one is the myst mystical murmuration, the way birds in a murmuration flow and communicate, or a shoal of fish. They do it to protect themselves. They do it by slight one in form seven around them. So I, I, I adjust my wing, and the other guys adjust their wing, and they affect other ones. Uh, so the mystic murmur. And the third one, actually, is to take their idea uh, uh, would be to apply the logic of their key technology of graphene, which is one atom thick, but it's linked to like a honeycomb in hexagonal structures. Uh, so you don't have any big power, but it's the most powerful material because of its flatness. So we only need that you have an influence on a small number of key people at your high level, or I have an influence on people at the same level, that we can begin to disseminate and create that system. 
that in our interaction with a small group of people around them, at a sufficient level, that, we, that they, they come into accord at a higher level with that sort of discernment, and then we can solve the problem. I've looked at research that shows that if one million people are in a state of coherence, they're more powerful than eight billion people living their normal, disconnected, jumbled lives. And the key word you said, coherence, because this is coherence and quantum coherence is the essence of life. This is what they don't have and, or whatever other forces, this quantum coherence. And what they want to do is to intervene in this. This is where, this is where you can be trapped eternally. So this is what we have. So that coherence individually, that we expand ourselves, when it's in that entanglement with other people, becomes really powerful. And it becomes impossible, it becomes impossible to, to oppose. And it's, it's beyond fear. Uh, it's beyond selfishness. It's beyond material things. And it is powerful. And this is what this is, was also called, if we go back a couple of hundred years, the Congregation of Light, which was, there's a specific organization to that name, but it was a specific term that referred to this mystical body of people that existed in this context in Christianity that would assemble when it was needed to do, to solve the, to solve the problem. Uh, so it's the same. It's in all the mythic stories. It's why George Lucas was in Star Wars and whatever, the Jedi warriors or whatever. The people are there in a, that, that have to be activated that of their own accord, to, of their own accord, to come into agreement of their own accord and to contribute. And that's why the, uh, the job that you're doing or I'm, I'm doing is to try and make people realize that it's, this, it's as simple as that to come out of the to come out with a spell they're under and to participate and to to employ their spiritual consciousness to solve the problems. Yes, and, and that requires, you know, just like a brain is a, a collection of neurons working together, but each of those neurons doesn't do much alone. I think ultimately we have to weave each other into a coherent brain of people who are pro-life and and have mutual values that are are moral or life affirmative. And I think that's got to be the binding structure because if we're not in agreement that we're here to protect life, then there's no, there's no harmony amongst us. You know, then it just becomes, well, my idea against your idea, or I think it should be socialism or capitalism or whatever, you know? So if there's not this coherent um, undercurrent, that creates the foundation of a resonance of values, then the, then the whole thing's not going to hold together. That's right. The, the, beauty of, the beauty of life, the sacredness of life uh, is, is the key thing because this is a death cult, a cult, a death culture. They will be defined by their infliction of death. This is why all this euthanasia is going to become standard. Uh, there's, there was, I don't want to get into the abortion issue, but there was a this short story by Philip K. Dick where you could be uh, aborted up to the age 12 in one of his short stories. Wow. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, and people th may think that that was just a fanciful conception, but it's, uh, it, it's talking about this culture of death that, that, that is, is an inherent part. And I mean, uh, you, you ask yourself, well, wh when does the American public, when is it going to really accept its responsibility, say, for example, for foreign interventions? Say, okay, well, you, you learn from Vietnam, not going to happen again. You learn, you mess around in, in Iran. 
weapons of mass destruction, nothing there. It's all a lie. Oh, we need all your money to go to Afghanistan. Or we're going to leave it behind now. We're going to leave all your equipment that you've been giving us all the money for over there. You know, it's, it wasn't really, etc. And now, now we're going to Ukraine. You know, come on, you know, there, there's, if they don't realize that from the time uh, going back to the Civil War, if you look at the military industrial complex, the United States has books written about the economics of war and how, how interests were driven to utilize the American people for to uh, sacrificial uh, forces to uh, achieve their strategic aims that 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 that's what's happening i mean uh, misusing patriotism uh, misusing the goodwill of the good people of the united states uh, and the, they continue to do it we have to wake up to this war machine and and, and to and to, to stop as well sending our children uh, to you know to, to war, whatever whatever context it is that's why i got out of the military i yeah. i just i just well, you know it. You... Well, you know, the thing for me is I, I reached a point where as I saw how the military worked, every time you go up in rank, you have somebody that knows more than the guy before. But when you get all the way to the top to the generals, there's still tons of stuff they don't know about why they're going to war. They huh. So, so there's, there's secrecy, secrecy, secrecy. And my issue morally was how can I go kill people if I don't know for sure that they're a real threat to my family's life or my nation's life? I can't do it because I've just turned myself into somebody else's play toy and I'm operating on an illusion of nationalism when really I'm actually not protecting my country. I am actually helping pirates steal from right, yeah. other countries' resources and I, I just couldn't buy into it. and. And I used to say to even the most elite soldiers, doesn't it concern you that you're being tasked to kill people and you have no idea whether they're guilty or innocent? And unfortunately, the most common answer I got was I couldn't give a shit. I just love to hunt and I get paid to do it. I don't, I don't want to know too much. Yeah. And that's what, uh, that's what the loyalist paramilitaries who had, been, had done really nasty things as well as, the, as the, the IRA, a lot of them in prison realized when they began to read books that they were pawns in the game and, and that they, they really went through profound changes in relation and when they began to understand and you see that there was working class Catholics fighting working class Protestants and patrolled by working class British soldiers, all who have no beef with each other fundamentally. But we can we can make they can make it for us and they're, and they're doing it again. Yeah. Well one of the things I wanted to share real quick because you know, you know, uh, I have a lot of Steiner's book. I have 185 of Steiner's books, and and I'm preparing to do a podcast with the little time that I have while I'm writing my book and recording podcasts and all that. But for several months now, I've been doing research, and I have a pile of books and research papers over here, and I've been researching Lucifer, Aramon, and and um, Christ, and the the kind of the trio that Steiner speaks about. Yes. And I've read several of Steiner's books, either on Aramon or on Christ or on Lucifer or the three of them. I'm almost finished reading one now called Lucifer, Aramon, and Christ, which is a series of lectures he gave uh, from 1909 through about 1920. And one of the things that, that I wanted to share, I'm sure you probably know this, but I think it's important from a spiritual perspective for people to hear is he said that the incarnation of Aramon is inevitable, that we can be aware of 
and resist it. But he said that the most important thing to resist it is to not to fall into the trap of it, which is what the World Economic Forum is. It's the ultimate trap for Aramon. It's, it's Aramon's embodiment, really. And he said Aramon will, re, will re-embody itself, just like Christ was apparently incarnated in Jesus. And he's, he gives history of Lucifer being incarnated on earth, and he talks about when and where, which was an Asian situation a long time ago. Now, these are very metaphysical concepts that if people don't study Steiner or don't know these deep undercurrents of some of these religious ideas, it's hard to follow. But ultimately, what Steiner said, that the function of Aramon in the evolution of humanity is to bring them so deep into the entanglement with matter that they realize terminally that the human spirit is not material and that the only way to evolve is to move toward the spiritual, which is the Christ principle. It's he, without a long discussion, he, he, he's, he points out that the luciferic force is essential because it's the force that gives you the idea of change, newness, free will options but that it has no attachment to right or wrong or, or you know, moral or immoral. And the aramonic force is the force of crystallization and materialization and electrification and automation, and that it makes everyone very, very easy to control because they become like re- remote control vehicles. But he said that the function of aramon is to take people so deep into a material existence that they reach a terminal level of awakening that that you cannot evolve in matter and that worshiping matter is a dead end. And ultimately he says the function of that is that when people finally realize this on a big enough scale, that the whole table will twist back and and the direction will move towards Christ consciousness. The question is, can we survive the process? (laughs) Well, that's exactly right. And and very well, well, well expressed. Um, my uh, my thinking on it when I look at so another in, in important source of the supernatural thing is what happened in the Catholic Church and the various apparitions because these are studied in a scientific way uh, rigorously. So if you're getting proof, you're getting good proof, or or if you have something like the uh, the miracle of the son of Fatima, witnessed by seventy thousand people, by Freemasons, proponents, by journalists, etc. You know, and studied by the best scientists. So I looked at all the Catholic predictions and, and all the various apparitions of the Virgin Mary and etc. And uh, I, I looked at the evolution of what I think the negative force is. And there's a very strong argument, uh, I think, that can be made. I just want to preface the mark that they're saying that I locate a lot of the driving force, the head of the dragon, in what was the British Empire transmuted into global forces. Most of the global forces are linked to the, the British Empire changing its form. It never went away. It changed its form into, into finance, into, into technical power, into military power. It shifted emphasis to the United States. It's the, it's the Atlanticist. It's the Atlanticist model that goes back to, to, to Francis Bacon. Remember, the new Atlantis scientific elite operating in secret uh, and this is this is why there's an uh, there's an interest in in atlantis itself because of it as an archetype
Hi, everybody. I imagine some of you are finding that your mind is not as sharp as it was, or that you can't seem to remember things as well, such as the last page you read in the book, or the key points from a meeting you just attended recently. Do you feel that your brain is taking longer to come online, or that your thinking gets muddled or fuzzy when you've got a lot to get done? If so, Organifi Pure may be just the magic you need. A key ingredient in Organifi Pure, called Neurofactor, showed a significant impact on brain-derived neurotropic factor, which has been widely reported to play a critical role in neuronal development, maintenance, repair, and protection against neurodegeneration. The certified organic combination of herbs in Organifi Pure not only enhances mental clarity and promotes brain-derived neurotropic factor to stimulate the development of new neural pathways, It aids in enhanced digestion, which is important because many cognitive problems are symptoms of poor digestion. To get your Organifi Pure, go to organifi.com forward slash check 20. That's organifi.com forward slash check 20. Get 20% off with your promo code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's capitals, check 20. Enjoy Organifi Pure. Francis Bacon, just to to throw this in there, he was the one that made the transition from science, natural science, as the mission of natural science was to use science to find ways to work in harmony with nature. But Bacon rewrote the definition of science as the use of it to control nature. That's right. He was one of the one of, one of the, the 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 key uh, figures in that, uh, but also he was a key conceiver of the idea of plantation. And he gives the baton on to people like Thomas Henry Huxley, who explains he explains how you plant a place, a colony, for example, and then you change the place to suit your conditions. So this is the precursor of what Dostoevsky saw as the Crystal Palace. He went to the Crystal Palace, 1851 in London, and he realized that this was what the future was. Uh, people brought inside in this crystal palace in glass like plants. He didn't ma- he didn't cop that on, but he saw this. He, he recognized that this was an ancient uh, gods from the Middle East that they were presenting as the future, uh, Baal and all these figures. He saw that and he, and, and he perceived it quite. So the, the crystal palace is the glass house. This is where the green stuff is, that you're a plant and you're going to be farmed, managed. The idea... The beauty of having you stuck, Paul, in, in, a, in a flower bed is they can do what they want with you and give you what you want or, or uproot you. Um, in relation to the... So what I began to understand when I, I couldn't figure out the timing of this Antichrist that came in the context of, of certain forces. So I came to the conclusion that there's a very strong case that the Antichrist force was the telecommunication system because... The telecommunication system, uh, built on the work of Babbage and some of these in in relation to computer, they took the postal system because they knew that nobody was against the postal system as a global network. The British built on their sea networks. All the underground cable followed the sea routes of of, of Britain. The underground cables were the basis of the, the telegraph system, telecommunication system. Telecommunication system uh, determines who wins wars, who has information, who can trade. This determined the movement of, of, of futures, of, of commodities, the whole lot uh, w- was, was based on the telecommunication system. If you look at key players, 
like uh, Bernal, Arthur C. Clarke was the next one. They're big into telecommunications. All this satellite stuff is a key. Those people generally are part, are knowing in most cases or not, are part of building this network of, of control. They're all in it. And that, so then when you come to look at people who are involved in space exploration, telecommunications, uh, tra- uh, increased intelligence, this is the key badge of Bernal. You know, so you say, oh, well, Elon Musk is a good guy and all that. You say, well, he's actually doing the things that the guys said they were going to do, the three things that they were doing 100 years ago. So uh, maybe he's accidentally in on the plan, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like that. Um, so uh, the, the point is that this network, build and, it, it crystallized the imperial endeavors in a different system to establish global control. And they want to bring that to its final level, where, and the, another word associated with crystallization, which we haven't even <laughs> begun to talk about. Yes, no problem. That's a good sign. Another word to think of uh, is uh, petrification. Now, Jesus says to Peter, I'll build my church on you, Peter. It was a joke about uh, Petrus stone. But a lot of people get confused because the church was built on Peter. It wasn't meant to be something made of stone. That was only the basis on which to build on because it's a spiritual endeavor. The kingdom is inside us. But think of the word. What has happened? How do we control people? And you've talked about this and you're very aware of this and you're very good on this about fear. What happens when you, you make a person afraid? They become petrified. Yes. What does that mean? It's, it's using the word of like stone. Freeze reaction. Yeah. And petrified. It's a continuation. It's a technique. Now they literally want to petrify us. What petrification is, is turning something into stone. So when you see fossils, that happened because what crystallization was formed in the body. Yes. So if you don't go, you'd be a slave. You could be a slave that's kept alive. The, tra- the benefit of transhumanism that would maintain, if they get the technology improved, that would in some way prolong your life in a kind of, you know, like like in a vat, for example, for yeah. a period of time, which wouldn't be pleasant. No. Uh, but that is one possibility. Or put you into some kind of cold storage so you couldn't actually move your consciousness. You're in a drugged state, as, as Philip K. Dick explored in some of uh, his, his novels. Uh, so, but... What the one of the aims is to actually turn you into minerals, to turn you into stone, to turn you into a machine, into physical plant. This is this is what the objective is, and this possibility is is, is what they're thinking about in relation to hydrogels. Now you say people say, "Oh, that's fanciful." Your conspiracy. This is what the scientists have exp- have said they're doing. But the freedom in it, there's no freedom. Uh, so petrification is a real possibility. I have a question, though. A plantation is always a place where there's some kind of a harvest, right? You plant, you have a wheat plantation, you harvest wheat. You raise cattle, you harvest cattle. What what is it that they're harvesting from the plantation they're building? Well, if you look at uh, the early plantation system, it started actually with with, uh, Prince Henry the Navigator, they, they began to have sugar plantations when they were exploring the coast of Africa in uh, Madeira. Uh, and then the, it was really the Portuguese that the, 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 the developed the model. And then the British uh, used the model in Ireland. 
So what they did, what they were planting was people. So you plant the people because you don't want a whole lot of Catholics that are against you, for example, after the Reformation. So what do you do? You break up the homogeneity. You break up these people. They're always afraid. From the time the Normans came, they're always afraid there could be an Irish base which would overthrow, as they tried to do many times, would overthrow the, the central control. So, and remember, Ireland was part of uh, the Angevin Empire, which included France and, and Britain and uh, and Ireland. So that they were they were a sea trade, and this was the this was the forerunners of the of the uh, Atlanticists that control us now through NATO, and that this is where they where they came from. Uh, and the order, another another element of this is the order. When we're talking about a new world order. They established orders in the 15th century in France, and the order was a collection of people that would give military assistance to each other. So there's different there's different uh, levels of the order. So when they plant a place, the objective is to to achieve strategic control, and you do that by uh, generally establishing a, a cash crop that you can sell in your in your home area, in a metropolitan area. So, uh, but it was also strategically important. So in Australia. When they're doing the plantation, they 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 want wood over there for ships because they, they they want to, to to build over there and flax and things they needed for for sailing. In the Irish context, linen was very important. People say Ireland was poor; it was very wealthy in wood for shipbuilding. When shipbuilding w- w- was the essence of of, of expansion, there was, there was very good uh, wood there that could be used. So. It's a, they call it plantation, but they eradicated the wood in most of Northern Ireland. They, they, they took the whole plantation away, uh, which, is, which shows it wasn't about planting things. It's about controlling an environment. This is what Huxley explained. This is what, uh, and Bacon explains in terms of an investment. You put people there and you get a return 20 years later. So the United States uh, was for, there was plantation companies run by the city of London. They all, so they say, oh, it was established by religious people. No, it was established by corporations from the city of London that are engaged in a business experiment. So when they get a trade where they have arbitrage, so they, they set up the triangle of trades, slaves, cotton, guns, whatever, any way that they can, they can achieve power from. So the plantation notion has been taken recently. I didn't know until I, I began to study it recently. I understood it from a historical context, but it's been taken by some theorists, uh, feminists, other people, to explain this general idea of how uh, society aims to exploit soil and things like that, that you've talked a lot about as a general model that describes the history. So uh, they're always trying to go in and displace what's there to, to take what they're doing it already, they're doing it now again. That they're, they're taking the, the farmers in, in Europe, they're calling, they're saying, the environmentalists are saying that farmers are inevitably right wing because <laughs> the farmers, they're right wing, far right. This is unbelievable. I mean, this is the note, and environmentalists are saying that because, of course, the objective now is to take away any self production, to automate production so that. The few corporations will be able to control the entire food supply and therefore be able to genetically alter things, put vaccines in the things to alter you to do what you want. So they won't have anyone protesting against them. You will only get food 
from these from these sources. So this plantation notion is continuing. Now, planta- that plantation now becomes implantation. All right. Plantation, implantation. Now, the garden is human consciousness. We're going into your soul, into your brain. They've told you that, Yuval Harari. We're getting under your skin. Like, that's why I don't understand why Russell Brand calls his his podcast under the skin. It's a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Certainly when he, and he used to hang around with Yuval Noah Harari, he makes me a bit concerned. I'd like him to explain that. But they're in, now they're, the plantation, what they're doing is, is they're planting your consciousness. So for example, if we go back to September the 12th in eight, in the 1880s, uh, when King Leopold is deciding in, in, in Brussels conference about uh, the Congo and, and, and dividing up Africa, they decide that they're going to introduce progress to Africa. Of course, they want to exploit all the people and take all their uh, all their resources. Uh, September 11th, they made a speech. September 12th, these dates come, keep coming up in, in the process. So they say, we're coming with progress to you, Africa. And of course, millions and millions and millions of people uh, uh, died in the Congo. How did they do it? They established stations in the place, armed stations. They move in down the rivers. This is the exact same process they're doing in your brain. A little insertion yeah. in a certain key points, and then they will control uh, your conscious and do it and make a mess of that as well. So it's it's the exact same process. And on September the 12th of last year, um, there was an executive order by that great brain, President Biden, which uh, explained that the United States was going to invest huge resources in, and it's quite remarkable when you read the executive order. Transhumanism. Yeah, in establishing um, computing control over biology so that that the human will be programmable as a computer. And that's what they mean. So that's, you're a slave. uh, You can be programmed by our government. That, that's great, or by the commercial forces to have taken over the government as they will have, uh, and th- that's clear. This this is the policy of your their president ha- ha- as expressed. So that they have they they're not only ceding control of the sovereignty of the U.S. people, they're ceding control of all people to this global uh, governance, transnational corporate uh, investment company run. Uh, extraterrestrial, if you want, uh, but evil, evil force. So the question, though, that keeps pestering me, you see, if I, if I have the technology to control James Tunney's mind, there's going to be something I want to do with him, just like spy agencies brainwash spies so that on a secret code word or a sound, they can be activated to be killers and then turned off. You can t- take over MK Ultra, you know, washing people's minds and implanting suggestions. So there's always a motive for the control. So the question I'm trying to answer, and maybe you can help, is if their goal is to implant us to control consciousness, what is the aim of having the control? If I have a remote control car, I know what I'm doing with it. I'm making it jump things or Hall dirt or whatever. What do you feel that they're wanting to do with this agency of conscious control? There's a simple proposition, and uh, firstly, in relation to 
those people who are in control and who've been in control for generations, they usually want to keep it. So they've set up a whole load of Ponzi schemes that, you know, moves the problems on to the next. You know, we set up this system, it's a non move it on, it's, it's going to collapse, you know it's going to collapse. So it's eventually going to collapse and people will say, well, you know, the, the people that had power will lose power. So there's there's always a need to keep the treadmill going, and that so there's a there's a fear of losing the position from the people who are used to power. Uh, and there's a funny there's a funny thing that 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 if you look at where most battles have taken place historically, France is the country that has had most battles. It's always it's also one of the countries that had the most apparitions of the Virgin Mary. It's kind of like the good part <laughs> and, and the bad part. Very interesting if you if you. If you pin it down and, and, and look at it. But so this force that I trace back to the Normans, I, I, the Normans are critical in this. And the, the, the Normans, of course, were, were, were French. So they weren't, they weren't English. They're not British. It's a really French force. Most of the early kings didn't speak English even. And a lot of them were associated with the, the Vikings who had settled in, in Normandy. They were key key elements. So the, so the Vikings were, were integrated into this force. And essentially, they're pirates. And <laughs> that's what their modus operandi was. Um, and uh, as well as that, there's this recurrent theme uh, like the, uh, of the Angevins, the Countess of Angevu, that she's a demon or... or this 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 story is right in the Plantagenets. Plantagenet. I mean, they were named after a flower as well. There's, there's a, but this idea of the kind of possession being there was in was recurrent in the uh, in, in the the family. That's the base of legal order, and that's quite it's quite interesting. So they have a recurrent love of battle, of blood, of power. It's absolutely consistent. Now, some people think. There's an extra dimension to that that we don't have to go into. But if you're in that power for so long, you want to retain it. And the same, the same uh, families, if you like, have been in the Norman context, which formed a bigger power system uh, uh, to go global. Then you, you combine other factors. And if you look at Norman Weiner, Weiner, uh, the cybernet cybernetician. Yeah, Norbert Weiner. Yeah. Yeah, I, I say Wiener, and people correct me because I don't. Well, I don't. I don't know. I just I read his I book on right. cybernetics. I, I, that's what I, I say. So I say both because people sometimes say, oh, I don't. I, I don't think they want to say Wiener. <laughs> anyway, so um, Wiener, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wiener's <laughs> no, not no. good either. <laughs> no, Norman Wiener or Wiener. Yeah. He. Uh, so he he realized because uh, he worked in the military industrial complex and he developed cybernetics. And he realized that there was a dark sorceress force in it. And in it, uh, as a more innocent version, he described it as gadget worship, yes. the worship of gadgets. And this Air is money. a very strong force because if you're a weak person that hasn't developed your spirituality and you're afraid of the world and you're afraid of death, well, if you have something that appears to give you power, then it appears to give to deal with this death anxiety, which is a deadly force that people have. If you have no spiritual force, if you're very left-brained, then this thing appears to be beyond power or beyond life and death. And then if you can take other people's life away, it gives you a satisfaction that life is a lottery, that it's nihilistic, that there's no, you know, that, that you have some kind of power against this, this uh, universe. So there is a deep 
philosophical recurrence nihilism as well, as well as uh, a, a, a desire of, uh, as Emma Gilchrist has explained in relation to the left brain, that blinds, it's blind to other forces. So it sees the world in a, in a, in a very, very limited way. And uh, from that comes an attraction for, for ritual, for recurrence, for power, for control. And the thing that, that they seem to dislike the most is unpredictability. They, they, they hate unpredictability. It's a kind of, I won't say autistic thing because I don't want to put, uh, say anything negative about autistic people, but it's kind of some like on, on a spectrum. It's, it's the desire that's associated with certain neuroplastic states that desires things to be predictable. And there's something in that, that if I can control you, well, then you're not unpredictable. And that unpredictability is what free will is, that, that Christians would say is a God-given right. So there is the, the, the battle between the Aramanic force and the uh, Christ consciousness um, or the Luciferian, as you, you've described, according to Steiner, is this battle between the fixity of the left, left brain and the fluidity of the right brain between uh, those figures that we talked about, the archetypal uh, fixed force and the flowing force that, that, that we, we see in the, the, the yin and yang and, in, in all traditions, that dynamism. Now, when one gets too fixed, it dies, stagnation, as we know in the Tao Te Ching and rigor mortis. You get rigor, scientific rigor, and you get rigor mortis. It, it, it becomes fixed and dead. Uh, too fl uh, fluid, and we don't have any discipline, and it doesn't work. So we need that balancing in the duality that we've talked about. But I think that there's a combination of a deep lust for power, which is psychopathic, which fits into this, the, the dark triad which fits into that uh, or, or, or quartet if you like of forces the sadistic force with the machiavellian force psychopathic so, so, sociopath there is this desire for for control and there is this in the kind of psychopathic mentality as far as i can see there is this great delight in having control making people do things mm -hmm. uh, of fun at their expense and Maybe sick things sadistic thing uh, yeah. Having that power is what gives them pleasure. It, 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 it's a very important aspect in that kind of mentality. And that seems to be deep in, in the thing. So uh, I wouldn't underestimate this, this lust for predictability. It explains an awful lot of things. It explains rulemaking, explains ritualistic behavior, explains what some people see as the reptilian part of the brain that scientists uh, have talked about, or if you want to, Ike would see as a real force, and there is some correspondence between that reptilian element of our brain and the archetypal forces or real forces, which some people would see as really existing. It's this desire for, for force, blood, ritual, doing things the same, uh, non-creative, non-innovative, but having power over and having uh, creating fear and, and petrifying people. You know, turmeric's really, really hot now. There's a lot of scientific research on it, but they're not all created the same. So I brought Autumn Smith on to tell you about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex so you know exactly what the benefits are 
and why you, like me, should get your turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. Autumn, tell us about your turmeric complex. At Paleo Valley, we are big believers in food as medicine. And so turmeric, of course, it has beat drugs out. We know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has brain benefits. We know it has joint benefits. But what most people don't know is that a lot of turmeric supplements only contain one isolated compound of turmeric called curcumin. And so what we did instead was create a complex. We added organic turmeric and then ginger and rosemary and clove, which were some of the most DNA protective spices studied. And we created a complex. We added organic coconut powder and pepper for absorption. And so we've created a really high quality, highly bioavailable turmeric complex that will hopefully help you to feel your best. And all you have to do to check it out is go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 to save 15%. One thing I want to ask before we move on, but I think we've set the stage quite beautifully for the rest of our talk. Um, you know, I've studied a lot of this stuff and one of the things that keeps reoccurring in my studies, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, listening to experts interpret the Sumerian tablets, the, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, the deeper you go into any historical record, the more you find references of gods at war and not, not human gods, even, even in Hinduism, flying ships, nuclear weapons. And there's all these descriptions from all over the world of gods at war. So it, it seems to me that this, this dualistic force permeates the universe. I mean, I, I don't know how far it reaches because I haven't tried to investigate what's going on in other galaxies. Obviously, I don't have time for that. But but when I, when I look at the historical record over and over again, you see records of ancient peoples talking about the gods at war. And this is a very, very common theme. So the, the question I have is, do you think that this is actually a product of what I would call the mental digestion of God itself coming to its own awareness of what it's, what it is with absolute willingness to go through any process because God cannot possibly die. So the concept of death from the perspective of God is an illusion, but God can't know what God is by good alone or by evil alone. So it seems that consciousness is created by these two complementary opposites interacting with each other that can do anything from destroy a planet to rototill a garden to make love to make babies to build schools and real philanthropy to the greatest trickery the greatest genocide the greatest murder do you understand what i'm saying like you, i do exactly yeah this 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 digestive force of destruction creation destruction creation seems to be riddled throughout the history of the earth with societies and cultures all over the world going as far back as records go, talking about the gods at war. So it doesn't seem like this is just a human phenomenon. I mean, it's easy to think, man, human beings are just so fucked up. They keep making the same damn mistakes thousands of years in a row. They fall for the same tricks. 
you know, you know, it's like, okay, what the hell is wrong with human beings? I mean, who, how many times do we support wars? How many times do we get tricked by politicians? How many times do we buy into fake uh, racial uh, divisions and uh, religious divisions, even though none of us really at our core wants to bleed and, and see other people bleed and be tortured, but we keep getting sucked into it. So the, the point I'm driving at is this seems to be far beyond human because even the people that are considered by many to have engineered our DNA were in wars with other people or other beings of different types with different belief systems and different ideas. So the, the, I'm trying to post the question with a little background to say, how do you take what's going on from your conception in the world and extend it out beyond humans into whatever the gods are and into the digestion or the creation of consciousness at this level of God? Yeah. My belief in relation to God, I would see it in terms of that apophatic, um, unbeknownst, beyond comprehension force. And I would agree with some of the, I think it's the Lurianic Kabbalah, that when God created the universe, he retreated from it. This is an important point. So the consciousness behind the universe retreated from direct involvement because you couldn't have free will then. That the creation was generally subject to its own inherent possibilities of evolution. Now, you can't have free will without the option to take the, uh, the, the dark side. Right. Now, if you look at Goethe, he makes an important distinction be between his view of light and Newton's idea of the light. So when you, you think about Newton light, you see a prism, light shining, so, you know, white light splitting up. In, but gives you a false idea, uh, that Goethe said, because he noticed that light occurs, or the rainbow, the spectrum occurs, visible light, between darkness and light. It's a very important point. So when you look at a rainbow, you'll have darkness behind it and you'll have brightness, sun in the opposite. You'll always have that. It occurs between uh, darkness and light. So, so it's a these, bridge. It's a rainbow bridge. Yeah, but it occurs in, in the middle. So, so, yeah. so this, is the, this is the realm of, of existence. Uh, so uh, the God, in, in case he has a similar view as, as the Kabbalah as far as uh, that, it's about free will. So if God is creating, if you want to put it in simple terms, or we'd say the consciousness or, or inherent consciousness, or original consciousness or source, whatever you want to call it, we'd say, we'd say God. if God is creating the universe, it cannot become anything if it's not left to its own devices. And that's where the, the idea of free will is. Now, the, the interventions that are claimed may not be the interventions that people think of this divine figure directly. They're probably talking about substitutes, angelic beings, beings that are... So Michael means, uh, or, or who is like God or something. They're, they're not God itself. They, they, they cannot be, if you take it another perspective, because God is beyond that. But there are different dimensions that can intervene to, a, to, to reflect, if you like, natural law, cosmic law, whatever you call it. The way that... And, and what I understand that to be is the facilitating framework in which we can spiritually evolve. Right. Uh, it's not meant to be dogmatic things, but certain principles. You, you, you said about life, it's simple as that. Yeah. Protecting life, encouraging those simple things. Uh, the other things are often uh, overblown or, or the, 
you know, in Christian terms, or the commandment about bearing false witness, it's about being honest. Honesty, yeah. you know, the value of honesty. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not anything more. Uh, the idea of uh, don't have idols before the God is a, is a representation of that if you're going to worship anything, you should worship the highest consciousness and not something which is smaller than a. That's, some, that's definitely my contention. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's different ways. We have to, uh, Swedenborg in particular, who's a crucial thinker in spiritualism, said that you, you have to accept that there's different layers uh, on all these texts. And you, you, you don't, to read it literally is, is silly. Uh, to read you know the the New Testament is different because we have a particular figure which I believe is a historical figure. We look at figures like c s Lewis and Tolkien, who are world experts on myth and things like that. They thought it was a real figure and that represented mythic elements uh, as a true myth uh, there's an interesting uh, story about that that we can have some other time so so that's different from the Old Testament stuff I mean so people have to make distinctions be- between what they're saying, but if God retreats. From the universe, as the as they say in Kabbalah, for example, as they say in the Lurianic uh, Kabbalah, and that then we get the fragments of light that that will come together, that will fragment. But it's a hologram, if you like, in a, in a modern context. Talking about Michael Talbot, it's a hologram of the divine. That's why we're created in the image of the divine. The same way as a small piece of a hologram or a device can maintain the whole. We have this imprint in us. This is the divine imprint now the if you want to call it the actuality or the the the, the archetype or the story or myth whatever way you want to call it of the opposing force the adversary because jesus says to Satan or to, to, to peter get behind me satan so satan represents an adversarial force to spiritual growth so so there's different meanings of, of this but there are people that choose a dark path that choose Darkness, power, uh, that, that, that this is the Faustian approach. This is where they, and, and Manly Hall talked about this as a real thing where people make a pact with the dark forces. Now, they could represent different things, but that's a reality. And the reality seems to be about, about control, about the baser elements or about the destructive elements of, or possibilities of human nature, destructive potential of human nature. And this idea, when you said about this battle in the heavens, yeah, it was clear. Steiner saw that. Another example I would put in the mix to reinforce that was from Pope Leo in the 1880s. Now, this is this was an interesting story. You probably know about this. Uh, he's in the Vatican. Uh, again, there's dispute about, but I, I believe it to be true. There's, there's there's good evidence for it. He's in the Vatican, and he has a vision of God talking to Satan, and Satan says. Um, I can take over the church in a hundred years. And God says, well, now this is the way it's represented. We have to accept as well that a person can describe in a particular way something which is more profound. So God says, well, go ahead if you can. Meaning, I suppose, well, test, test, test not, it not out. Saying, I'm giving you authority, but well, what can I do if, if uh, you know, if, if it's going to, if it's susceptible to being taken over, take it over. And, and if you fit in, Pope Leo. So, so after that, actually, his response then was to introduce in every Catholic Mass a prayer to St. Michael, funnily enough, uh, which was taken out in the 1960s. It's very interesting. Uh, so if you take that vision and you take Steiner's vision and you take the apparitions at La Salette of the Virgin Mary, 
and you take the growth of the telegraph system, the international telecommunication system, and you take what they said about uh, the, the, the war in heaven, there is, when there was talk about the Antichrist, the Antichrist seemed to suggest, or suggest to me a force which came into being about 1863. Uh, I, I would be specific about that in, in my readings of history. About 1863, about the time when the international, what became the International Telecommunications uh, Network was established. Um, and there's other, there's other years that link it to that. You'll notice it when, again, going back to the time of the Civil War in, in the United States, now that I think of it. Um, but the, and then if you take this 100-year idea, and a lot of people think the 100-year began in the 1870s, and, and Steiner was thinking in the same year. If you take 1863 as the 100-year period, then you have the 100-year period of active coming in of spirits that ended in 1963. I believe that by 1963, the global governance system was established effectively. That we're only beginning to realize how deep it's in. And if you look at 1963, what happened in 1963, uh, Kennedy and Martin Luther King and, and, and the, de the death of good people and what happened. If you look at people like Philip K. Dick, who had his vision of, the, of this fearful satanic force appearing, this is what turned him in 1963. That was before 1974 of, of, of a positive force coming in. He saw the arrival of, of this uh, negative force. Uh, if you look at, say, the pop music and, and things like that, I, I believe that the um, virtually the entire music machine was a, a psychological operation to, to alter society. Uh, that most of the drug thing was was designed to, was part of the the military industrial complex. I, I read, uh, there's there's a fair bit of evidence of that. Well, there's now. a lot of evidence that Timothy Leary was contracted by the CIA to do exactly what he did. Well, look what what is what did take this example and again using the test the litmus test I talked about space exploration intelligent intelligence uh, increase the things and transhumanism he was right into them and another person. That people don't, haven't got right is is uh, McKenna. Uh -huh. Look at his essay about psychedelics in the information age. He talks about prosthesis. He talks about the great minds. He's not talking about what people think he's talking about. I think he was he was. Uh, if you look at read him uh, read him closely, you'll find that he's closer that to O'Leary and and that than than might be first revealed. And actually, most of the unfortunately. A lot of the spiritual leaders in the United States have some connection. If you go back, you'll find their connection through uh, the universities that were attached to the, the, the CIA. And even a strange one, I think it's in the, uh, the book by Yogananda. If I'm not mistaken, he dedicates it to Luther Burbank. Luther yeah, Burbank. Luther Burbank was one of his biggest contributors, bought the land for his headquarters in Los Angeles. Yeah, who, who developed... The potato that's used in all McDonald's, who wrote about how the human was a plant. Oh yes, yeah, he was an expert in plants. Yes. Yeah, he was, but he was also an expert in explaining how you could manage humans as plants. Right. Yeah. There's a. I've got a, a whole in one of my books. There's a whole section about Luther Burbank and plants and yeah, yeah, things he, like that. He's part of the plantation scientific things and California was based on plantations, on orange plantations. If you look at 
if you look at Steinbeck and, and you, you, you see they developed, if you go back to when they established the University of Berkeley, it was named after Bishop Berkeley. The, 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 and they, said it was, they, they basically said it was an extension of empire. And California was used as the basis. It's the center for the military-industrial complex, the center for genetic engineering, the center for computing. It was used as the base for the Navy to, to go to Japan, uh, mid-19th century, say, look, uh, oh, we want to we be left alone. Sorry, we're coming in. And they come back 100 years later and drop a bomb on them just to make sure that they've got the message. Uh, it was the extension of empire in the Atlantis thing. Now, this is not going to do with the American people. You know that I'm a great supporter of the, of the American people and a great uh, supporter of the achievements of America. Well, the thing is, I don't think American people have a clue what's going on. I mean, most people that consider themselves Americans are living with the idea of nationalism that is so divorced from the concepts that we're talking about. I mean, you're, you're talking about concepts that only very well studied people that have a genuine interest in consciousness, the evolution of man, spiritual evolution, and are willing to challenge their own belief systems would even begin to look at. Because if you start looking at this stuff, any Christian that starts looking at Christianity, Buddhism at Buddhism, uh, you know, Muslim at Islam, you name it. I mean, you know, you look at guys like, I mean, sure, Wardy, you turned me on to. You've got, um, oh, I'm brain farting. You've got um, the the Christ, the guy that was the monk that told people that God was infinite, and the Catholic Church tortured him for seven years. Uh, it's easy. I wrote about him in my book. I'm brain farting right now. Bruno, was it? Bruno, Giordano yeah. Bruno, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a long history of these people who wanted to, to teach people freedom and to teach higher concepts, but immediately, you know, found themselves in deep shit, i.e. dead, burned, tortured, everything else. Um, so I, I think I think part of the problem is that, is that there's like there's so many layers of deception that people that operate at one level of reality have a very hard time conceiving that there's a roof above their head that opens the doorway to another level of meta structure. And these, you know, we're talking about several layers here in this one conversation. Most people are still believing that what CNN says is true. And this is, you know, we saw that with the whole vaccination situation where, you know, people would do more research to buy a toaster oven than they would looking into what they're getting injected with because there you see the ceiling. They can't even conceive that a medical doctor would ever do anything to harm them or could be tricked that way. Yeah. And, and, and one point uh, to make it clear is that, and going back to your, the original question about why I'm interested in this is that I honestly believe that it's about your eternal soul. <laughs> that's, that, that's important. And your eternal uh, c persistence of, of consciousness. Uh, so that's why, why I think it's important. And people are willing to, to you know, to give that up for a burger and, and, and a soda. That's fine. Do you make that choice? Good luck to you. But really, you do have a choice, and and it is that significant. And that's what all the spirit. That's what Jesus was was saying about that you're an eternal being. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is you know, is before you, and you don't see it. He wasn't interested, like when the, when when the robber on the cross says, you know, I believe in you. 
you know, he, he gets to heaven. He doesn't say, well, well, you have to do this before you get to heaven or you have to do this. It's about, it's about belief in the spirit. I mean, it, it is that, that simple. And, and, and if you think of the, the crucifixion where you had, and this corresponds a bit with, with uh, uh, Steiner, you have Jesus in the middle because I think Christ consciousness is there. You have the right and the left, right and the left brain. The robber that says, well, try yourself down, show us that you're God, and he's not going to do that. And the other guy says, I believe in you. And it's the simplest, it's as simple as that. One saying, you prove to me, you know, that there's all these things. And the other one saying, well, I, I, I have some enough sense to believe that you're the genuine article. And I mean, you know about the power even of the placebo effect. I've never shared this publicly, uh, but I'm going to share it with you and whoever's listening. <laughs> because of what's been going on in the last, you know, since this whole COVID thing kicked off, so what, three years now, with all the satanic stuff coming out. And, you know, I've got a long history of working with possessed people, and I've seen some pretty crazy stuff in my life. And I did an entire audio series for seven and a half hours with Kedrich Olson called Are You Possessed? Where I go into great detail on what that really is and how to recognize it. But I asked my soul, I went into deep meditation. I said to my soul, please connect me to Lucifer. I didn't ask for connection to Satan for a lot of reasons that Manly P. Hall discusses, for example, in his book, Magic. Yeah. But... I, I asked my soul, connect me to Lucifer and tell me when I'm connected. And then when I was connected, you know, I'm clairvoyant. This incredibly beautiful, angelic looking being appeared before me. It wasn't anything like people draw pictures of this horned creature or anything like that. In fact, it might have been the most beautiful male body I've ever seen, except it was a much more um luminous being like like an angel really like kind of almost half man half angel looking um very very big um but i said to lucifer i said you know what is your ultimate function i said to lucifer i believe that there can't be anything here that isn't an expression of the divine so i don't think like a lot of people that you are some other opposing force to god I said, would you please tell me what is your function? And it's been a few years, but I'll give you in paraphrase. Lucifer said, I am the master of creating illusion. And it is my function to make sure that nobody can evolve spiritually that is not authentic. So what I do is I spin illusions and anyone that buys into them is deviated to the degree that they are participating in the illusion or the deviation of love and unity and what God actually represents. So it's almost like what he was saying to me is I'm a filtration system that pulls all the dead stuff out of the water so that only the pure water can get through. And another thing that happened recently, I was working with, a person that was having um, entity attacks. And so what I do whenever a person's having entity attacks is I, I connect directly with the entity and ask it, what are you doing and why are you here? What's your function? And the entity said to me, this person is trying to bring people to the light, to God. And that's not good. I said, why is that not good? 
And the NTC entity said, because what people don't realize is if you actually come to God, you will disappear, you will die. And I am trying to save people from dying. And I said, but aren't you missing the point? The purpose of spiritual evolution is to reach a level of realization that anything other than God is the illusion and that it is the goal to let go of the individuality to return back to God to become what you ultimately are, which is unconditional love. So why would it be so scary to become one with unconditional love again? And the answer was, because you will disappear. So what I got from the entity, and he so I said, where did you come from? He said, I came from the dark. And so what I got from the entity was, is that the entity was afraid of the concept of death of individuality and was defending anybody in its mind against the pursuit of God because the entity believed that people don't realize that what they're pursuing means annihilation of the self. And I thought that was a very, very interesting conversation and a very interesting perspective. And I could sense that the entity was being very genuine, like I'm doing you a service by disrupting you so that you can't do these spiritual practices. And so you get confused because you don't really realize what you're doing. What I thought was a very interesting conversation. Yeah, well, what what, now I'd say to people, don't try that at home. No, I've done a lot of practice. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so Paul is in a different position in relation to other people. It's an important point for other people to, yeah, younger yeah. people to, to 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 notice. But what you have described there is perfectly consistent with what the idea of the sorcerer's mind is, and you can see it in this idea of the Nietzschean expression about will. Or manifested uh, somewhat uh, in Alistair Crowley, although I wouldn't condemn him. Uh, uh, he can be oversimplified as well. But it's the privileging of the will and the desire for control and the desire for predictability. And this goes into the this goes into the next life. And it's very interesting that Emanuel Swedenborg, who is the, one of the greatest spiritual travelers uh, on record. I mean, nobody has written more. Uh, than him, uh, he is the background to uh, to William Blake to to the I've American. Got, I've got one a very comprehensive book by him. I don't know which title it is, but I have it and I've read some of it. Yeah, so, but he was a great scientist, uh, and he ran the mines in Sweden, uh, and he he worked with Polhem Christopher Polhem, who is a great uh, mechanical engineer, if you like. He developed, going back to 17th century, a, 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 a or the 1700s, a an automated factory that worked with because most people see mechanics in terms of metal now, but they did all this. You can do all this stuff in wood. You can make models in wood that works very mm -hmm. well, and they did. And there's a lot of even wood and gears and everything. Out. I've seen all sorts of stuff made out of They're wood. Very good, and and so. Uh, so so Swedenborg goes off in his own way, and he changes from science when he begins to have divine, or, or Jesus comes to him, or God, or depending on whatever, and he begins to commune with angels. And uh, he, he later, after Paul Hem died, so he, he didn't have contact with him then afterwards, really. After Paul Hem died, he went to see him in the afterlife. So he said, 
that Pulham was still working away on his inventions. And he, he was trying at that stage in that space to create a device that he could use to communicate with demons. Uh, and as a result, he went to, well, he described it as hell, but a, a dark place. And the point was of that, the will that you exert, the focus in this thing carries through your ability to be able to perceive. If yourself is so focused on will in this incarnation, it will imprint itself in the next level of consciousness. And this is the, unlike on the Bardo plane and the, the hungry ghosts and all that, this, this is what the, the place, if you don't believe it, if people don't believe, that's great and, and good luck to you. If people don't believe consciousness per, persists, good luck to you. But if you, if you do, the, your consciousness, there's an idea that everything is just fine and that's grand. And, but the other deeper view is that your life here is a preparation, therefore, and the will carries on. So that story that you talked about would be consistent with a spirit also who cannot escape from the limitations. Now, one interesting figure in this recently, which I, I don't agree with on this issue, I don't understand it. I, I, I've seen this quite quite significantly, but uh, David Icke, he, he's written a book called The Trap. And uh, it's interesting because I wrote a book, The Mystery of the Trapped Light, explaining I've that. got it. You know, I've got all your books. I've yeah. only had chances to read sections <laughs> okay. of them because I've been so busy doing research. I'll try and do a cartoon book. version, Paul, because I know you're, you're busy. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. The conception is basically that if you look at all the spiritual traditions, the human being essentially is light. Uh, yes. And of course, David Bohm, frozen light and all that. But Jesus says it in the Gnostic Gospel or, or the the Gospel of Thomas, he says, if they ask you where you came from, just say that you, you came from the place where light came into being of its own accord, and we are part of that. So in all the traditions, they're going to the light, which is two forms, which is formless and, and empty. The emptiness in the Buddhist thing is consistent with our other idea of lightness. It's yeah. removing the ego, or well, not the, the, the aspects of the self that are not our divine nature. Removing the veils. Yeah. So Ike is saying now, as far as I heard him saying that, you know, consistent with, he's right in most of the things he says, but he says in relation to the afterlife, you shouldn't go to the light because it's a trap. You know, oh, that's bullshit. I, think, right? I'm, I could tell you I've got, I'm way too skilled and experienced working in those dimensions. I would say that's completely and utterly wrong. Yeah, but this is a common argument. I, I was a bit surprised to hear him say that, but... Uh, because uh, his perceptions and other things can, can be fine. But on that issue, it's not consistent with what all the major spiritual traditions say. And uh, I fundamentally believe that this is our nature, that it, it's a, I call it spiritual light. It's something that uh, we don't understand. It's, it's not material in, in, in the sense as you talked about. And this is, this is the function which will be beyond comprehensibility, which will be part of that uh, ultimate um, consciousness if you like that, that we find ourselves uh, according to there, there's a couple of things you know you're talking about people that don't believe con consciousness exists beyond death well there's a lot of definitions for consciousness as you know and i've shared many of them in my new books which you've read <laughs> all the chapters so I'm, I'm writing chapter 31 and 32 right now um but one of the definitions for consciousness given by Itzhak Bentov is consciousness is the flow of energy and information. 
Okay. So if we, isn't it the second law of thermodynamics? It says energy can produce, cannot be destroyed, only transformed. Yeah, there's the law of conservation of energy as well. Right. Uh, and so then you go to Wolfgang Pauli and, and Carl Jung's work together, and the two of them working together to try to define what the psyche was between Jung and Pauli. And those of you who don't know who Wolfgang Pauli was, he's one of the pioneers of quantum physics. They determined that the psyche has two poles. One end is pure energy and the other end is matter. And that what we call the chakra system is like a rainbow bridge strung between matter at the bottom root chakra and the seventh chakra is the gateway to pure energy. So the point is, is if, 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 if consciousness and, and, you know, Edward Edinger says consciousness is a psychic substance produced not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites, which is negative and positive, dark and light, matter and energy, uh, unbound energy would be, the opposite of bound energy or matter. And so the point that I'm making, anyone that doesn't believe that consciousness lives on after death has only limited their conception of themselves to their physical body, but don't realize that consciousness is the flow of energy and information. And if you study quantum physics, astrophysics, Fred Hoyle, I mean, the list of people that have demonstrated this is so long, I couldn't even begin to remember them all, that the whole universe is made out of energy and information. So everything there is, is energy and information. The point I'm making is that if someone doesn't believe that their consciousness survives after death, then they seriously just don't understand even the basic principles of what consciousness is. And the second thing I wanted to share is I'm a remote viewer and I'm, you know, I've got a lot of years of practice. I began remote viewing when I was 12 years old. And when I travel, I can travel to your house anytime I want to and walk around your house. I can go anywhere. I've been on the sun. I've been all over the place. And it's not hard to do at all if you know how to do it. It's no different than uh, most any skill that we have. But when I travel, I, what I call is I travel in my spirit body. And when I look at myself, so say I go to the moon, if I stand there and look at my feet or look at my hands, I see a luminous hand of light. I can see energy lines through it. I can see almost like the um, blueprint of the anatomy that I have when I'm in my physical body. But beyond that light, there is nothing there. there, there in other words, if you were to somehow extinguish the light that I'm talking about that I travel in, you would completely annihilate the soul and the spirit of Paul Check, and, and I would return into that pure energy state, which we would call God. So, you know, a lot of people that have opinions about things don't have skill at them. It's like a lot of people that, that are anti-psychedelic have never used one. So I say, well, then why, are you, why do you have all these opinions? Because all you're doing is regurgitating everybody else's opinions, and that's not thinking. That's just rearranging your prejudices and call it thinking. So I know from personal experience that what walks out of my body and can go anywhere in this universe that I can think of and I can actually touch, smell, taste, feel, just like I do in this body, which interestingly, I had a, a discussion with a very, very well-known channeler mystic who didn't think that you could do that. I said, I, and first I was shocked that she didn't think that way, but I mean, I've been on the sun. I've met ETs on the sun that are 
the praying mantis-like beings. And I've had long, interesting conversations with them. In fact, they're highly intelligent and taught me a lot. And, and I've also found that there's energy dimensions that are very different than what we're aware of. Like for the beings on the sun, they're in a different vibrational resonance. So the sun isn't hot to them like we think it is because they're at a completely different frequency domain. And they're not in biological bodies. They're, they're in more, they're not in light bodies. They're, they have material bodies, but they're, they're at a much higher vibrational resonance than what we are. Um, it's hard to put in any other words except to say that if you can take a stone and use sound frequencies to levitate it, you can use the same frequencies if you take that higher and higher and higher, and you can make that stone jump into another octave, almost like teleportation. So you've got beings that are living all through the planetary system. I've been, had meetings on Venus with many guides, and they're just like you and I, but they're vibrating at this very, very different frequency. So we look at Venus and we don't see much. But I tell you what, if you enter in on that frequency, all of a sudden you see an entire city or a whole populace living there. So I'm only sharing these things from my own personal experience. I don't care if people think I'm a nut or not. Because I've proven my abilities many times. I've helped find people that were lost, that had died and nobody could find, and many such things. And I won a remote viewing contest in front of 750 people in London, England, taught by the CIA's remote viewing program director. And, and I didn't use any of his techniques because I, my techniques work better. And they were what, I, what spirit taught me. So I'll, I'm just saying to, to, to the two points. The light and consciousness is, is what I was trying to address there. I told you before a long time back, you probably don't remember, but I, I did have a vision of you on when I was kind of doing a, a meditation thing, coming on, on that level. So, so I, I did perceive you on that different level. So it was strange to see someone there, and that's another story. But when you said about the seeing your, seeing your hands and whatever, and, and the light body, uh, it's very, very interesting. And I think. Sheldrake and Ian McGilchrist were talking about this. I just it was listening in the background yesterday, uh, and I know this, uh, and you know this about the phantom limb that people who mm -hmm. have never yep. had limbs can experience. That you know, so so the the if you like the platonic form of it is there there, and you say, well, where does that come from? It's because it's it's real. It's and that this body is a reflection uh, of something else. Just one more point on consciousness, which I think. People get it wrong. They don't understand. Sometimes listening to me uh, when I criticize Donald Hoffman, uh, you, you know, Donald Hoffman has written a lot about Yeah, I've got his book. But he's, if you read his book, he says consciousness is fundamental, but he says human consciousness is not fundamental. And this is the thing that people don't know. Well, how do you one, separate those? One sentence in, in the thing. <laughs> but it's, it's critical because uh, there's, there's a lot of things that seem to be the same, but they're different. If human consciousness is not fundamental, then they're talking about artificial intelligence. And yes. That, and that's the basis. A lot of people don't see that. And there's a distinction between uh, Donald Hoffman and Federico Fagin, for example, because Federico Fagin, has, uh, who has this kind of quantum idea of, he, he had a, a mystical experience that changed his life, and he understands this thing. So he is a scientist who understands the detail as well as the uh, developing silicon gate technology, 
Right. He also he, owns he's, an older, he's an older guy that owns some tech businesses, doesn't he? Some big tech industry. He developed the Intel chips. He developed right. them. Yeah, but he's also he dedicated his life towards studying consciousness. Yeah, I read, uh, I, I read his book. And so, uh, but there's a difference. This you have to look at these subtle differences between what people are saying, and if they don't accept consciousness or what I call spiritual consciousness as the basis, because I, I, that's what Evelyn Underhill calls, and I believe it's accurate. We're talking about the spirit, really. So, spiritual consciousness, if that's not there everything else become becomes a nonsense. If you're talking about consciousness as a shorthand for machine intelligence and computation, you're talking about something different. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new Mag Breakthrough formula? Well, it's called Sucrosomial Magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research in science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it, you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will kind of relay some of these things. But sucrosomial was a no-brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this we get more results with less caps. And that's always the goal for our company. That's excellent. I love it. I, I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. Where can people get their new magnesium breakthrough formula? All they need to do is go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d. Put in Paul 10, you get 10% discount on your first bottle. And of course, if you order multiple bottles, you can get an extensive discount on that as well. And like everything else, we sell 365-day money-back guarantee. If this isn't the best magnesium you've ever taken in your life, we demand that you tell us and we can give you your money back. But I think you're probably going to demand, hey, can I get more of this? <laughs> that, that's probably more the truth. So that's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash living number four, and then the letter D, code Paul 10. Enjoy deeper relaxation and better nutrition with Mag Breakthrough. I remember you and I had a, a pretty solid email exchange over these issues a long time ago. But one of the things I'll bring up on the Hoffman issue is because I've looked at a number of his videos, what, 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 what I see Hoffman doing 
is really describing the brain and and how it perceives and gathers information as though that is consciousness yes exactly and that's yeah. that's that's see that to me is that's a fundamental mistake that's like saying if i'm over here with a radio controlling a remote control car and you're over there telling me that the reason this car behaves this way and is so easily tricked is because it's made out of plastic and metal and it can't see beyond itself but you're not aware of the fact that I'm the one controlling the radio from over here, then you've, this is like trying to dis discern consciousness from how the brain functions, how easily people are to get tricked with all the different colors and shades and depths and all the things he talks about. Like, okay, you're just talking about the limitations of the physical vehicle, which is the body of experience that we use to engage polarity without which consciousness is different because consciousness is different on different dimensions, right? Your, your, your consciousness will be much more expanded when you're out of your body than it is when you're in your body. I think that's part of the problem. I think part of what's happened with all the junk food and the poisoning of the water and the um, materialization of people's uh, value sets and lifestyles is that their natural spiritual growth and reach the natural desire to go beyond to you know which is very human to reach beyond reach beyond has been turned back on itself so what's happened is the turtle's head and legs have been pushed inside the shell for long enough that now people actually even intelligent people like Hoffman and a lot of these people actually can't conceive of consciousness outside the shell of the turtle but they don't realize that they've been progressively infolded with repetition you know, and I'm like, hey, I got news for you. Um, I've been on the other side and I have and I can leave my body and I can leave this shell behind. And I can tell you that when I leave my body, the experiences I have, like the eyes that I can see with outside of my body. I mean, I can look at the moon and just focus on it and look at like I'm looking at my hand here. But in my body, I can't, you know, I, I look across at the mountain and I can't see deer over there. I just see great big rocks and trees, but I'm sure there's deer over there, but I just can't see them. Point being is that when you're studying consciousness as though it's the product of the physical body and the brain and the nervous system, you're actually studying an epiphenomenon that consciousness moving like a radio wave moves a remote control vehicle. And overlooking the fact that it's being, that its actions are coming from somewhere completely different in a completely different, in a non-material way. Like the radio wave's not a material thing. So anyhow, I just had to throw that in there because it was. Yeah, a, just the last point. I mean, he excludes his own consciousness in the equation that right. allows him to come to the conclusion. And he utilizes what we know are optical illusions to prove the idea that we can't have consciousness and, and whatever, as well as that. What you're talking about is directly right as well, because if you think in, in Christian terms, the Bahil and the blind and that, that wasn't the primary objective because he could have spent all his time curing blindness, uh, you know, and, uh, if that was the objective. But what he was trying to cure was spiritual blindness. Yes. That was what the representative, because your spiritual eyes, as is proven uh, beyond a, doubt, a reasonable doubt by all the near-death experiences and the ability to see Without your physical eyes, your physical eyes are 
an incarnation evolved in this context appropriate to this environment of a pre-existing ability to perceive, which is far more profound. And the acceptance of that ability, the deeper consciousness, uh, allows us to understand not just the afterlife, but also our own reality. So we're, we're, we're not blind. The real blindness is spiritual blindness to your own identity. That's the Yeah, blindness. exactly. And, and you know, the, the entity that I was talking to was obviously blind to his own origins, or he wouldn't have, I say he, I don't know, it sounded like a male voice that I was talking to, but that being would not have had those viewpoints if it was conscious of its own origins. So there you see, again, a separation from source or a spiritual blindness. And, and that's what Ian McGilchrist makes out in The Matter with Things in his two-volume work uh, after the Master and the Emissary explains that, that the left brain becomes blind. It cannot see the other realities. This is a fundamental, um, uh, important point. And that, that similarly, or that kind of plasticity, uh, if chosen voluntarily, can kind of imprint itself on the, in the spiritual world as well, where we begin to just close down our ability to to see beyond and to open up. So, so I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. James, this has been a, a more than fascinating dialogue, and, and I always love a chance to, to sit with you and talk about these things because you have such a tremendous grasp of the history of, of the issues that are developmental to the very epicenter of the crux of what's going on today. And you've alluded to crystallization, crystallization of consciousness, crystallization of structure, organization. So would you like to take us and give us sort of an overview of what you're writing about now and how that concept of crystallization ultimately plays out in what you're really trying to convey to the public at this time with your writings? Right. You better sit back there and shut up now for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you have it. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I love no, your. No, I love your. Your listeners would be saying, "Here, nothing about crystals and this. We want my money back." <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try and ex explain it. Basically, I began to understand when I was trying to get to the real bottom to go all the way and say, "Well, okay, what's down there? What's at the center of it? Or up to the highest bit? What's the?" And, and going back to your earlier question about the driving force. Now, instead of thinking about some of the bigger issues, the vague, you know, about good and evil and all this kind of stuff, what is it that they're trying to do? What are their conceptions? Because if you're, as you know, from your boxing, you have to study your opponent or if you're yeah. fighting a war, you have to understand uh, what the terrain is and what the context is. And this is a big issue. People are talking about globalism, about World Economic Forum, things that just come onto their radar, but with no real idea of the context or what the deeper elements or how this relates to the military industrial complex. So, so I'm trying to explain it in a context and to contextualize what they're trying to do and where it fits in based on the evidence. Uh, so if I'm adding bits to it from literary or spiritual context, it's trying to uh, elaborate what's there in the literature and what we know about. I, I'm trying to explain things in, in the idea of state and structure, which are fundamental and important ideas in relation to crystals. Uh, when we think about crystals, we think of the New Age shop and, and kind of quartz and amethyst and those things. But really, that's not what crystals are. Crystals are really defined by their inherent 
regular symmetrical structure and can appear in a whole range of forms, including liquid crystals. So I'm looking at Paul now, and he's a liquid crystal form. It's not Paul I'm looking at. It's liquid crystals I'm looking at. So that's crystals as well. We also have, if you look at a peacock's feather, for example, we have photonic crystals. This is what makes opalescence and other qualities, the way uh, light is made to shine in different directions, birefringence, it's called. Uh, a thing that was important for hundreds of years, they began to understand about the nature of light by the way it shone through crystals. Um, so we can think about this crystal state in a, as a useful key in order to understand the world in many senses. So if we start off on a micro level, a lot of these inherent structures define our world around us, that all metals can be in a crystalline state at certain, at certain uh, times. Uh, that our, our life is, uh, you know, your, your sugar in, in your larder or your salt are crystals. Uh, we have ice crystals, etc. We're very familiar with. But in relation to ourselves and the way we live our life, on a micro level, uh, the body is has many crystals in it. So when you're talking about your kidney stones, you're talking about crystals. And if you look at people like uh, James Oshman, he describes the human body as a hydrated liquid crystal. Uh, so he explains that, for example, the collagen, the muscles, they all operate. They're all crystal structures. So and that's is water. Why he, uh, sorry? So is water. Yeah. And, and he, uh, you're intro. I'm joking. <laughs> he <laughs> he, uh, he describes, he, he developed the earthing or one of the people behind the earthing movement. And his idea was that the collagen in the body is fed inflammation is is caused by our lack of connection with the electrons in the earth, which come through the liquid crystal uh, nature of the body. And if you look at uh, myelin, for example, this is one of the things they've been studying for a long time. It's liquid crystal. So uh, we have to think of crystals in, in a in a wide range of ways, in a wide range of contexts, and understand that we are made of crystals as well. That our extrasensory perception, our sense of direction. Is related to magnetite in, in, in the brain and in the pineal gland and calcite. And these are things that uh, give us our natural sense of, uh, of movement, pro preception, and our ability to, na to navigate. It's, they, they've found in, in birds and pigeons that they have uh, a crystalline structures associated with their eye, which probably enables them to see, their optic nerve, to see magnetic structures in, in the air, literally. And there's always been, so crystals are always used. Uh, for orientation uh, and for connect for, for directionality and dimensionality or interdimensionality and amplification. Yeah, so so that's 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 why they uh, it's important to understand them in relation to our own body. Then, when we think of state, if we think of that word of state, we live in our physical state, in our spiritual state, and we also live in united states. There is this. This is the, an idea of an organized an org ordered form crystals are defined by their sense of order and the lattice structure like a, like a chessboard if you like underpins all, all, all crystals this logic also applies to the state and changing state and you're at a phase now we're going through a phase transition like in uh, with, with uh, crystal states uh, where your state is being dissolved effectively into a global governance state 
So that will be a new state. They call it the state of the world. This is what the World Economic Forum is talking about. The state of the world is also a description for anything which is outside artificial intelligence. They talk about how the artificial intelligence or machine encounters the state of the world. There's two meanings to that, and they're deliberate because we're, we're moving into an automated planetary governance system. It will be automatic. We will be governed by machines. The machines will govern, govern everything in your life, so they don't need as many people. A small group of people can effectively achieve this by making you dependent on the system. So that's the macro structure that they, that they aim to do. So this macro structure can then, in a loop, interfere with the, the microstructure. And the key technology, as we'll see, is crystals, because they've understood for a long time about crystals. Now, if we look at it from, you can look at a positive and a negative side about crystals. What did Jesus say? And again, you, you, you talked to Father Sean about, uh, about understanding things. He's an example of a person that can unify the best of pagan taught and the best of Christian taught on a deep level and understand the nature of parable, etc. So what did Jesus say about crystals? Well, he was talking about salt. Salt is a crystal. He said that uh, ye are the salt of the earth. So when he said ye are the salt of the earth, he was describing the crystalline structure, the form that we, 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 we find ourselves in. He said, but you can lose your saltiness. It's possible that you may lose that and you don't want to lose it. So this is the vessel, the form in which consciousness operates, if you like, in a way, a holy grail kind of which holds our, our, our consciousness. And the Buddha, of course, consistently talked about crystal structure, crystals, uh, diamonds, and in, in relation to representation uh, of, of a, an elevated state. But it's very, very interesting. What did he say? What did Jesus say after he said, ye are salt of the earth? He proceeded then to explain that you have to shine your light. So your saltiness, your crystalline structure was not the end of it. That was the form of the human body. The light is what shines through it. This is the critical thing. So you should not confuse the two with the other. The, this crystal structure of the body and the form is necessary for your existence to contain the or receive the spirit, the spiritual consciousness, the light. Uh, but uh, they're two different things. Now, what the materialist does is confuse the two because it doesn't see this. Uh, an interesting example, I, I was saying, well, this, if I interpret in that way, if that's, what, if that's what it means in a deep sense, I must be able to find that elsewhere, that idea of this relationship between uh, the crystal and light at a deep spiritual level. And the funny place I found it when I went looking for it was with Jim Henson, who 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 the the mup the man behind the Muppets. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I was very surprised. I wasn't expecting to find it there, but you can you can always find these figures that that are, that know what they're talking about. And he, I think, it was in 1978. Uh, I think it was at JFK Airport with his daughter. They were flying somewhere. There was a snowstorm. They were caught in the hotel, and he wrote. He had a kind of vision, if you like, or he wrote, and his notes are still available. He had a vision uh, which was associated with crystals, which became the film The Dark Crystal. And what he did, if you look at the notes, it's very, very interesting. He, he drew a division. On one side was 
the scientific, rational, militaristic, greedy, all the negative, dark aspects. Uh, and on the other side was the mystical, the spiritual, the loving, whatever. So he, he had a, a very clear sense of this division that we've been talking about. And from that, he had he, he, the film The Dark Crystal, which is a quite amazing story. And in that, underpinning that, is the same idea. There's this crystal, which is fragmented, and it splits the the humanity or whatever, the, the group, the beings are split into two types. Uh, this this militaristic, reptilian, bird-like, hawkish, vulture, greedy force, which prey on other forces and try and squeeze the life essence out of them. It's quite a remarkable, uh, quite a remarkable story, quite frightening. It's meant to be for kids, but kids don't generally like it. It's too scary. <laughs> And the other force was the mystics, and the mystics went off and did their did their stuff, uh, and they they moved in a funny way. And when I when I was coming about, it's a funny it's a funny little synchronicity, because I wasn't going to the to the, I, I never been to a gym in my life. I, I don't think I, a couple of times I was doing a little bit of boxing, but not not in just to do things. Uh, but as I said, I go to the I used to go to the club. But so because I'm not doing that. I've been swimming all year round in the lake up here. It's quite cold, which is good, and uh, which is also good for your myelin. It's good for your the the, the liquid crystals in your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I was doing was doing exercises or or, or kind of um, made up exercises based on capoeira that I used to do and the animal uh, movements. Some of these animal movements that you know, like walking like a bear, they've been doing for thousands of years in. In, in China, very good for your back. So I've been doing them around the house, and I was doing I was doing one odd one that was inventing myself on one arm on all fours, going around, I'm walking around here like an animal. Here, the kids kids would be laughing at me, but uh, they do capoeira as well, so they understand. And I was doing one where I was walking around on one hand uh, and and two legs in in an odd position. And funnily, the, the strange synchronicity when I, when I look back at the mystics as they were represented as puppets, because it's all puppets in this film. The mystics went around on just like that in the film. It was quite, it was quite incredible that the way he designed them. So I found a curious again synchronicity. Now we can come back to the resolution perhaps of that story, but that shows me that this is, and, and I, I think some of these figures like Henson, even George Lucas, are trying in a story form to tell what's happening. Mm -hmm. Now some people think they're priming us. The good version is that they're telling us. In a, you know, in code, they're representing some other thing. Sometimes they're deep psychic things, which Henson's was. Sometimes they're a bit more specific. Um, so, so that was the same story. So, the the thing that needed to be done was that the light needed to be able to shine properly into the crystal. Uh, and if it was broken, it causes separation of two, the dark and the bright element, uh, which ultimately has to, has to be united. So, so that was interesting. So, so when you find these recurrences, you know you're on the right track. In relation to uh, esoteric terms, you know that the crystals are about other dimensions. In ancient Ireland, crystals, quartz, are found around all the sites. Some, the, the, the word in Irish to describe them is sunstone or the bright stones or um, the noble stones. And this, the noble word, the same word they use in relation to fairies. So there was these, I believe that these crystals were used for communication with other beings. So that's what they occur in all circumstances. When you said 
about your communication with Venus. Swedenborg was communicating with beings on Saturn and another planet, so he was doing a few hundred years ago. It's consistent. H.C. Wells, who's one of the bad guys, has a story called The Crystal Egg, 1897, where he's describing a guy in London who has a, a crystal and he can see the beings in Mars through his crystal. Now, the funny thing about that, of course, is that um, crystals are fundamentally important in technology. So all the things that they understood in an intuitive level, an esoteric context, we find that they're in critical in relation to uh, high technology. So quartz is critical in our computers. It's critical in all communication device. You can make a radio with quartz because it resonates, transmitter, receiver. They knew that. And there's an argument that the reason why they knew that was because there was an ancient technology that was there. That's one reading or an ancient intuition or some people believe ancient beings or that this was always there because all this awareness is there. For example, the fascination with the ruby and the ruby is, is recurrent in esoteric thinking. And then we find ruby used in lasers. Mm-hmm. And there's an argument that lasers were known in ancient cultures. For example, because of the abilities of, of these things to, to create a connection between dimensions. There's a book called Crystal Clear, which explains how the, the Second World War needed crystals. Crystals was one of the most important technologies. And again, uh, not a lot of people know that. So from an esoteric perspective, from a primitive indigenous uh, person's perspective, an ancient perspective, they knew about these crystals. We have an inherent attraction to these crystals. It's written into our, uh, our being that we're attracted to crystals. And the path is laid out for us to go to the crystals because there's an answer. There's a spiritual answer or a material answer, and there's two different paths. So that's why H.D. Wells and all that was seen you know, a physical representation of a physical thing as opposed to a spiritual uh, representation. And this is, this is where the split is. So we can even see this in Marxism. The idea of crystallization is a key idea as a, in dialectic materialism. Going back to Hegel and true Marx, uh, it was used by Engels. It was used by uh, Goethe, who was, who, was, who was a fundamental Marxist theorist that influenced Mao. They had this idea like crystals grow, that that if they created the conditions, then society would transform into this utopia if they just organized the material conditions. And it was associated, parallel to the understanding of crystals. If we look at the history of crystals, there's other interesting dimensions, like Stendhal uses crystallization in the salt mines. You, you get a twig and you put it in the salt mine and it, it crystallizes and forms into into something beautiful, and he used it as an analogy of falling in love, where you begin to turn the other person into something that they're not by projecting onto them. So there's beautiful ways of thinking about crystallization. But what, what what's really important for me is to explain that this fits into the paradigm that we talked about, that there's one part of humanity that wants to remove the unpredictability by establishing structure by taking that structure of the crystal and imposing it on society and imposing it down to the individual and this is what the military industrial complex is 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 about so if we're looking at the specific history one important point is in 1888 liquid crystals were discovered and they 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 discovered it when they were looking at cholesterol and, and carrots so it was actually in the context of carrots because they're interested in plants. Plants are critical. And liquid crystals were discovered from 
when they when they had different melting points, they, they began to change a different form. They realized that it could be in different structures in different contexts. And of course, when we're talking about liquid crystal, we're talking about a, a different phase of matter. It's not solid uh, and it's not liquid. It's something in between which enables people to utilize them for, for a particular purpose. It was also from the study of crystals that virology came about. A lot of people don't understand that. Virology didn't come about in its modern form from study of human diseases. It came from the study of plant viruses. And the particular one they're interested in was the tobacco plant uh, or the tobacco mosaic virus. Why were they interested in that? Well, tobacco is the, is the basis of the plantation system. And later on, when they started growing tobacco in other places, uh, and this disease happened, they wanted, there was an incentive to understand the tobacco mosaic virus. And it was the discovery of the composition of this virus that is the basis of virology, not previous ideas, because the concept of virus wasn't used. So virology comes from the study of plants, again, plantation. That's what they're interested in, the, the, the ruling class. And it comes in particular from crystallography. Why is crystallography so important? After the X-ray was developed, they, they understood that if they, if they uh, projected Max von Lau in Germany, if they projected an X-ray into a crystal, you get a diffraction pattern. You get a picture. And then from that, you work backwards and you can infer from the uh, diagrammatic projection what the structure of the internal planes is, and therefore you can work back to the structure uh, uh, of the thing itself. So it's, it's, again, notice the technology is the same as what Jesus was talking about. What is in the dark crystal? You get a light and you shine it into the structure. Without the light, you wouldn't be able to see in the structure. Hi, everybody. I'd like to say thank you for learning and growing with me and listening to my podcast and sharing it. And while we're here together for a minute, I'd like to tell you about Symbiotica's Super Greens, which is an excellent, efficient way to boost your daily nutrition. It contains a bioavailable complex of natural plant compounds, including chlorophyll, glucoraphanin, broccoli seed, and other alkalinizing greens. This is important because even if you eat a good diet, the combination of daily life stressors coupled with the toxicity in our environment tends to acidify our body. And when we are acidic, we promote inflammatory responses in the body. When we have inflammation from stress, environmental toxins, and other factors, and are acidic, our body doesn't recover as well, we generally don't sleep as well, and we age more rapidly. Symbiotica Super Greens not only alkalinizes our body, gives us excellent sources of plant nutrition, and promotes a healthy immune response, Super Greens support cellular detoxification. Symbiotica Super Greens come in a lovely tasting citrus lime flavor. Your super greens are packed in 30 easy-to-use daily servings, and all you need to do is squeeze it in your mouth or mix it in your favorite beverage. If you want to add another aid to boost energy and support your immune system, grab some of Symbiotica's excellent vitamin C while you're there and mix it with your super greens, and you will have the energy and vitality to feel confident that you are doing what is important to take care of yourself and your family too. To get your super greens, go to bit.com. L-Y forward slash symbiotica, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A, L number four little d, all in lowercase. Once again, to get your super greens, go to bit.ly 
forward slash symbiotica L4D, all lowercase. Enjoy your super greens and don't forget if you want to hop it up, get some of Symbiotica's excellent vitamin C. So the scientific path and, and the spiritual path are the same, but one is in a material dimension and one is in a spiritual dimension. The mistake is to believe, to confuse the two, or to believe that the material one is the soul uh, path instead of the spiritual, instead of seeing it as an aid. So the uh, a key figure in this is, is Bernal. Bernal, J.D. Bernal, who wrote The World of Flesh and the Devil, who told us that they were going to establish the scientific elite, who told us that there was going to be this uh, future scientific corporate control of the world, who was a, who was a, a died in the world Stalinist, who wrote a great obituary for Stalin uh, when he died, de- describing Stalin as a, a great scientist. Uh, there was a number of, uh, and one of his students, Dorothy Hodgkin, was a, there was a lot of uh, communists because they would be materialists. Uh, and actually, one of his students was the supervisor for Margaret Thatcher, who also studied crystallography as well. So you can get on left and right this same idea of a very structured view and project that onto society. But what was Bernal working on and what was the team around him working on? The key thing he was studying was the structure of water. Uh, and uh, Because, of course, water is not H2O. It can occur in whole range of phases. They're still studying at the highest level in America. And I know that because I've talked to people. They don't know about how water works at a deeper level. Uh, and, and they know that there's, there's a whole range of different patterns. Remember that uh, Oshman said, described the, the, the body as a hydrated liquid crystal because the interaction of the water and the crystal that, that, uh, that was important. And of course, the water can be in crystal uh, states as well. But Bernal also studied graphite. Uh, so graphite is critical in this. So graphite, of course, is the basis on which graphene uh, come, come, comes, uh, comes from. So they were studying it then, and they were studying it earlier. So the powers that be, if you like, uh, focused on these issues. And if you study the crystallographers, a lot of them didn't say, well, I really want to study the tobacco mosaic fires. I really want to study graphite. A lot of them, if you read them, they were given the topics. A supervisor says, here's a list of topics you can study them, or this is an area you should. So the ideas were coming. Not, it wasn't an individual scientist working away. They were working for the system. They were working for the man. They were working for the military-industrial complex. And they say, you're good at this. Here's a job for you. I want you to find the structure of graphite, because they knew these subjects or th- these things were, were, were critical. So Bernal was also at the center of the study of DNA. So it was around him that uh, Crick and Watson comes out and Rosalind Franklin, they were all working on DNA. So the same people that are working on, on viruses as we know them, uh, are working on graphite, uh, uh, working on DNA. So out of that group, Crick and Watson came, there was others that contributed, and Rosalind Franklin contributed as much. Others could have got the... the uh, the, the Nobel Prize are, are, are for that as well. So Watson continues, as you would do, because what were they trying to do? They were trying to understand life itself, because from the 19th century, people like Heckel and that believed that crystals were alive. 
and they believed that this was the secret to understanding humans and therefore to controlling them. So this quest to study DNA was a quest to manage life. So in 1943, Schrodinger wrote the book, or the, 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 a book based on his lectures in Dublin, because uh, he lived in Dublin, uh, called What is Life? And yeah. he anticipated that life was in the form of an aperiodic crystal, which proved to, uh, to, to be right. And so then, so Watson continues afterwards with his DNA. He goes to Cold Spring Harbor in the United States. And this, in, this continues. They're trying to, they're in the same area, virus, DNA, and that's associated with what comes to September 12th, the management of human consciousness itself. It all comes about from a wider notion of uh, the human as a crystalline object that can be controlled by crystals. Now, what is the technology that becomes important? Well, one of the main, what we're talking about here now in the present and future is of the brain-computer interface. Yep. There's a number of ways they can do it. I've come to the conclusion that Elon Musk's stuff is a big distraction, that they're not going to be drilling a hole in your head. That, that's not true. That's a distraction because it makes people think it's a long way off. We're not going to have that. That's just not that's not going to be the way it is. The reality is that nanotechnology enables this technology that control you to be put into your body, to be spread endovascularly, possibly to be ingested or inhaled, so that in your body you can have nanoparticles that will interact with external force and that will therefore be able to reveal information. So this is what Yuval Noah Harari is saying. We can get under your skin. We can know what you feel. Uh, the technology is, is possibly uh, there already. Graphene oxide, they're, they're redefining some of these terms so you don't know that you're, you're talking about these issues. Graphene oxide and such substances can be, according to the evidence, there's plenty of scientific articles uh, used in the, in the human body. So if you look at the patents, that famous patents, the 060606 by Microsoft in 2020, uh, which is about the use of the human as a part of a system uh, in, in a, you know, where they can read your energy, essentially use your energy as part of a, an integrated system. It doesn't really explain what they'd use, but what they would use would be some insertion uh, in your body. So uh, the technology that the basis of transhumanism comes out of this dark, this 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 dark uh, strand. It's historically this is where um, this is where it comes from. Uh, and then a final point in now, so we're talking about the history. So we're talking about well accepted, well established, undisprovable uh, facts about the history of science. Uh, this is this is what they've been doing. You can make your own conclusion. Another subject that they have been very interested in from that time is chitin, uh, or chitin, or uh, C-H-I-T-I-N is pronounced in various ways. Some people say chitin, <laughs> chitin. It's chitin, I, I think, is the best pronunciation. So what's that? That's the subject found in insect shells, in crustaceans. In, it, it's the thing that's used to build things in organic matters. So this also provides a, an, a possible explanation, which people may not have considered 
in as to why they would be so interested in getting us to eat insects. Insects, yeah. So a lot of people say, well, I don't want that. It's not good for you. Fair enough. They're not worried about your health, folks. <laughs> They're not worried about your health. Oh, well, you could die. They're not worried about... Uh, about uh, I mean, a million people died in Ireland uh, in the famine as a re- from a plant disease, mm. from crops they were made dependent on, uh, that came from South America, that were farmed with guano, uh, which came from South America. Nothing the Irish people wanted to do. But if you're made dependent on certain things, your your life can be taken on a mass scale uh, as well. But if you think about the chitin, the this stuff is indigestible. And it's already in the scientific li- literature. What they're using this chitin for is as a scaffold for tissue engineering. So if it's a polysaccharide, it can bind with other things. All this process is about binding different things together in the body. So we get the we get the things into your body and then we can shine light in or certain rays will tell us what you're feeling. Mood rings. You get a, a liquid crystal mood ring. It reflects in its childish way your, your internal moods. But this is what they will have in your body. So we can see Paul Check is getting angry now when he's reading this and we can tell. This is what they're talking about, making you transparent. It's probably happened already. So when I was, when I was uh, following... I think it was in America when I began to see on the news showing the links of people mobile mobile phone phone connections where they were shown they could follow you know they were shown as a fate accompli all of a sudden we're following your every move we know where we not that people didn't know that but uh, the same thing will happen in relation to the fact that there's been insertions there may have been or there could be insertions into your body surreptitiously clandestinely for the national health for security purposes for some good reason uh, etc. So the, the problem with these, this insect stuff uh, that one would certainly have to consider is if the people behind it, like Bernal, uh, who has no, com- no, no value of human life in any real sense beyond this, uh, this context, he said that in, in relation to scientists, uh, they had curiosity and humanity, and that curiosity would triumph over their humanity. That's what he said. He said they would perform experiments on the people in the human zoo that didn't accept the transformation. Well, if you put if you put the factors together, you would have to wonder whether some of this scaffolding tissue engineering possibility, binding with different insertions into the body, is a way to experiment with the uh, transformation, the transitioning, and transhumanist phase. You notice in the last few years that we are getting made used to people at cyborgs, people who engage in a lot of body modification uh, that look very, very strange. Well, this could be done externally as an experiment as well and with, with this material because they see the human as malleable. They can also do it through the DNA, which is a crystal. That The, the, the organic crystals are more flexible, but they're crystalline structures. So. Really, the long and the short of it is, without making any uh, fundamental statements about what they are trying to do, the reality is that science operating for the military-industrial complex has long conceived uh, us as crystalline beings. They have long known about the magic and sorcery of crystals. Go back to John Dee. 
John D had a crystal leg that he, he communicated with spirits about. And he, he wasn't good at seeing other spirits. Kelly was the better one. But they knew about this. They knew about communicating with other beings, extraterrestrials, if you like, demons, whatever. And John D was the person behind the British Empire. There's a long tradition of these of this fascination with stones. King Charles will be will be made a king in the coronation ceremony, Corona, uh, on the Stone of Destiny. Uh, there's a stone under you, you. You will notice that in the ceremony, uh, which goes back into uh, to, to Irish lore. Stones uh, are critical. Hydrogels in the context of automation, with the use of substances like graphene, which are standard uh, in China. Um, last point in relation to the technology. There was a prosecution uh, of an American scientist who, for his work with the Wuhan lab, independently of all the the the, the, the corona stuff, but well, he is an expert in trans nano transistors and putting them into the human body. So your scientists have been working on this with China to develop insertions. And my my remembrance of reading about the nature of these minuscule transistors where that they were v-shaped which was funny because the whole story about v and aliens the alien is the technology coming in now the whatever else about the aliens behind this the alien force is the technology itself first and foremost so there's a long evidence from the spiritual traditions of a good path in relation to understanding crystals, which is subject to the light and the priority of the light of our divine consciousness and understanding that we are crystal form and, and operating in that. And there's another force, a dark force, which says, okay, we can control the crystalline force and we can control the consciousness. We can standardize everything. We can petrify everything. We can make everyone's consciousness the same by assimilating them into the system, by using crystals, and by, by a process of endosymbiosis, by entering actually into the body, you will be assimilated. It's pointless to resist the Star Trek, etc. This is the real description of what this, this force is doing. The opposite, the opposite idea is to understand, to protect our crystalline nature, to understand it, to work with it, but to understand that that's not us. It's the light, all those things we've talked about. It's the light shining through us. Even as, as Henson was trying to understand, the crystal had to be repaired in order for the light to shine through. And, and the last point, the way he resolves that, as a spoiler alert in case anyone hasn't seen it, is the resolution is that the mystics come back and they integrate with, with the dark force because what the problem was was the split and the split combined with the reconstitution of the crystal. So it's a kind of deep explanation, which in my view is consistent with the spiritual traditions. But it's in the realm, our future is going to be determined by our knowledge of crystals. And for people that are going to resist it, they'll have to get very aware of crystals, of how uh, unscrupulous forces, whether deep state or criminals or anyone else, can utilize a combination of waves and crystals in our body. And people who are interested in this will have to try and anticipate measures 
to be able to detect and see what people have in their body. I get loads of people telling me they believe they have, and don't send me any, I can't help you. I'm sorry, folks, uh, but they believe they have insertions in their body. There's a huge amount of people. Joe Rogan said he gets loads of people believing. Uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I can't help in that. I don't have the skills, but uh, I don't know, and I, I wouldn't be able to prove. But there is a necessity for somebody to begin to think about developing technology to help people to identify whether there has been foreign bodies, alien bodies inserted in, in, in their body. It would be a very good thing for someone with a bit of money to do because government is going to do it and private forces will do it now. They will do it against our will. They will do it on the grounds of public health. They will try and mandate. They've set up a precedent now where they can insert things in our body and this is going to get easier as they dismantle national sovereignty, move towards a global, a global governance system through the World Health Organization. They're moving quicker. They're, they want to, 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 to go ahead. So it will be easy for them to create a system where they insert nanotechnology in our body uh, with our compliance uh, so that they will be able to exert control. And once that exertion is done, once that, that barrier is, is crossed, our free will will, will will go and we will be petrified for, for eternity. Our consciousness will be crystallized and we won't be able to be thawed. So that's the main point. <laughs> that, that's, uh, you know, what it does is it, it crystallizes a lot of things into a more coherent picture because when you take all the things we talked about leading up to the crystal description, then you see the stepwise progression and you now see how the crystal idea or concept is almost like the zenith, the, the nexus point of making it all work. And it explains the graphene oxide. And I'm sure you're probably aware of this, but there's been reports from all over the world of doctors, naturopathic physicians, lab people, and others analyzing vitamins, foods, general foods from the store and finding graphene oxide and all sorts of other things that have been added to the food supply. I've seen videos of doctors warning people not to use, uh, not to buy foods from main food suppliers. You talked about the food supply earlier. Uh, right now, over 90% of the food eaten worldwide is controlled by five corporations, Cargill being the w biggest one of them. And there's a very interesting history on Cargill as well, very monop very very mafia-like. What what it does is it really brings us into not only an understanding of what's going on from the perspective of consciousness of control, but it shows how your your concept of the crystal merges consciousness and technology and control into one system, really. I think that you really have hit on something very pivotal to not only our understanding, but also the importance of, there's a lady named Shelly Joy. She's a electrical engineer, very deep metaphysician. She's got great writings on the infrared emanations of the body, how it's too much to explain in a few minutes, but I'll send you some of her book titles. But she's showing, for example, just one thing she shows is that when you look at the frequency range of the infrared light emanating from the human body, it happens to be at what is called a 
a band, I think it's called a band pass, but the energy radiating out of the human body can escape the atmosphere and it goes indefinitely in the universe. So it's like every one of us is communicating with the whole universe, but she gives you the exact frequency of the infrared and shows, oh, by the way, this is exactly the same frequency that the global internet is built on and shows how easily we can be tied into the internet as human beings and gives all the math behind it, every bit of it. I mean, this Shelley Joy is, you know, very, very mathematically and scientifically and spiritually inclined and ties all these things together in, in multiple of her books. And so uh, the, the thing that makes me want to kind of share a kind of a comment to close is that you know, one, keeping your body pure, all mystical traditions talk of purification, and that's purification of the mind and purification of the body. All shaman use purification rituals. Why? Because when you're traveling in other dimensions, whatever you're carrying is an impurity in you. If you're carrying greed in you, if you're carrying hate in you or resent, you automatically attract the beings of those other dimensions that resonate to that frequency. Exactly, and so what happens is, is it's just like tuning a crystal. You can use a, a crystal to, to make a radio tuner. So if you have an impure crystal, then you can't get a clean signal. And so what, what did Lucifer say to me? My job is to create illusions. And anybody that uses and buys into illusions to manipulate other people will never, ever make it to God because only the pure can make it back to God. And so. When you look at what the function of spirituality is and what the historical use of purifications and you study the science on liquid crystals, and I've got three chapters. You saw my chapters on water. I talk all about the science of water. Yeah. We're 99% water by molecular count. So we're really like in the Buddhists say bags of water walking around. And you can use water in all sorts of ways, uh, which is too long of a discussion for Look, yeah. the, the best supercomputers in the world have water as a hard drive. They use water to store information. So when you start putting all this together, it starts to congeal. And now from your descriptions, it helps me understand the graphene oxide at a different level. I, I understood it because of my background in, in military technology and my also my background in the studies of radionics and many other things, that the graphene oxide was a means of tapping into people and controlling them. But when you take it to the crystal element and you think of what a crystal does, and, and also because a crystal is an amplifier, you can take a very weak signal and amplify it through a crystal and make it a very strong signal. So th there's a lot of things. I, I'm really grateful, James, for all the research you've done and all the tremendously different elements. I mean, you're pulling together from deep metaphysics, from mythology, from history, from le legal ease, um, from plant kingdoms, from animal kingdoms, from mineral kingdoms, from science, from metaphysics, from philosophy, and you're you're you know you're doing something that I think is critical because if you don't have, just like these secret organizations compartmentalize everything so nobody can ever know the truth. If you don't have all these pieces that you've just put together, you can never see the whole. You can think you know what you're doing and you can get on a bandwagon, but not realize that you've just done exactly what they wanted you to do. And that's get taken down a blind alley that ultimately leads to a, a, a partial truth, a half truth, 
and a half and a half truth is never the truth, right? Yeah. So I just want to say I'm super grateful for what you just shared and all the history that you gave us. Because I think you really gave everybody an opportunity to start to see things in a much broader perspective, but also to realize how critical our sovereignty is and how critical protecting our food supply is, our water, and how critical it is to band together on the moral principle of protecting life, which is not only protecting each other, but protecting the foundations of the earth and the water and the atmosphere, which is under heavy attack and has been under heavy attack for over a hundred years. And so I would just say thank you. And I hope all of you, you know, listen to this two or three times because it's one of those podcasts where you're going to have to really digest this. I want to talk to you more about this. So whenever you're ready to, to take it further and share more, let me know and let's let's continue this dialogue. Great, Paul. Thank you again. You know, I really respect your awareness on a deep holistic sense and your love of nature and your the, the sound judgment that I know you have. We have a lot of yin and yang and about little things, nuances, but not about fundamentals. No. Uh, we, 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 we have to work out the finer tuning on some, some things we have discussions about, but uh, on the deep thing, we, we share that. A uh, very deep uh, concern, uh, and also to finish on a positive note, the what we have what we have to do is uh, one word I'd say is realize. That's what we have to do. Realize, and realize means to what in the perennial tradition is affinity with the real, the real which is not the illusion that you're talking about, the yeah. Christ consciousness which is not the illusion. So realize also means to comprehend, to comprehend, and also realize, as you talk about your dream, to bring your dream into reality. What is your, your dream? Your dream is that positive reinforcement of your unique identity, your spiritual identity. No identity is higher than that. No uh, sexual identity, national identity is higher than your spiritual identity. What they want to do is to make you into something which is not your spiritual identity. You have to enforce, and that is can be done as again the click of the fingers. Come out of, as uh, in the Christian terms, come out ye from among them. That's when when Christ is saying, "I will divide families." What he's saying is that families or people that stay in that system, well, you can't stay with them. It's not about separating families. It's he's describing a consequence, as we've seen in the context of of the recent stuff. That really you can't. You have to stick with your spiritual consciousness which, which is a, a positive thing and the word realize also you were talking about this it has the phonetic equivalent of real eyes yeah. your real eyes are your spiritual eyes mm. your perception your intuition your instinct uh, that comes from divine consciousness it's there in you a lot of this enlightening is getting rid of rubbish uh, which is not your conscious which, which is not trusting your original consciousness, your inherent consciousness, your divine consciousness, your holographic representation of the divine force in the universe withdrawn or, or, or otherwise. So uh, all you have to do is realize it's as simple as that. When the individual begins to realize and wake up, whatever, and come out of it, well, then they begin to understand their spiritual power. 
They don't want to relinquish it. They're not willing to give up their eternal soul. And those people will come into accord and they will come into resonance and they will establish that uh, invisible army that will be able to interpenetrate, cooperate, share, disclose, whistleblow even, uh, will reveal, inform, make people aware of what the reality is. And the good point is that now a lot of countries won't exist anymore. The, the homogenous nation of Ireland, it doesn't exist anymore. It won't exist. These things don't exist. So what is happening is there is, an, in a social terms, a crystallization of people at a different level. The people will move into different families, the spiritual families. There will be a split. There's no question. You, can't, you cannot continue to avoid spiritual engagement and evolve. The only way is a devolution, and it's not a, it's not a path that I would recommend. So that's the reason why you're working on the stuff that you're doing. It's just to, to, this is this is serious. This is the antidote. So yeah. uh, that that is the thing. So thanks for your conversation. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just used yeah. an interesting word, devolution. Yeah, but you pronounce it devolution. So it's very <laughs> yeah, interesting the correlation between devolution. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and I didn't. Devolution. That's a very good. Devil, right. Actually, maybe you've conceived a new word there. Devil spelled in the devil. Devil. Devolution. Yeah. That's a very. That's a good concept. And one thing I, I want to say before we say goodbye, because it really fits with this, Ibrahim Karim, who I have deep love and respect for. I mean, yes, he's yeah. a he's a genius. Yeah. And he just recently released his new book on biogeometry, which is all about values and, and, and the subtle energies, you know, basically the, not the objective aspect of the world and the universe and conscious, but the subjective aspect of it and, and how important that is. But he, he says something that's very relevant to everything we've talked about. He says, it's your values that determine the frequency of the consciousness that you connect to and express through yourself. Yes. So yes. your values, if your value is Christ-like, it's centered on unconditional love, you tune into the Christ consciousness. If your values is Darwinian, win by power, control, and dominance, then your consciousness tunes into that frequency and you live that out and that becomes the story of your life. And that's why I think having a common dream that is morally based for the protection of life so that all souls and all beings have a chance to come here and self-realize and go through the process of extracting the soul from matter, which is the whole basis of alchemy as a spiritual practice, which Steiner said is the reason Aramon's here is to prove to you through hard experience that you cannot evolve in matter and that ultimately the end game of it is that people will come face to face with the reality there's no way home but through legitimate spiritual practice. And that is ultimately God extracting itself from its own entanglement in its material existence. So my closing statement is remember, it's the values that we hold that resonate the frequency of the consciousness that we carry and exemplify as our life and our relationships. And if there's anything that's come out of this, you are a walking liquid crystal with a conscious mind that tunes the frequency and the span of frequency in God is infinite and it ranges from the darkest and the ugliest and the most evil to the most beautiful and the most good. 
And it's up to us to decide what we want for our children and our future collectively and for nature. And, and the last point, Jacob Burma, mercury on one side, sulfur on the other, and salt in the middle. Yep. Corresponds with uh, uh, the thing. So the salt, uh, uh, a crystal. Yeah, re resonation is important. Uh, resonance is important. As I said, what you do in your life will reflect in, in, in your next life. This is what all the, spe the spiritual teachers say. Believe in the higher force and, and follow that and don't be distracted by the illusions and then you will, you will come home. And whether, uh, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, just merging into one. We will persist for how long, there's another question, but it's dependent on where we put ourselves. So we're making decisions all the time often by our inactions and failure to do so. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you. And I'll say thank you to the sponsors for supporting the podcast. Thank you to all of you for anything you buy from the sponsors that supports the podcast and uh, gives me the support I need so that I can spend the time, energy, and research and uh, work to gather the great minds like James Tunney to bring and share with you to help awaken us all to our true potential in life, which is really to learn to love more effectively and and be an expression of that, which is a it's a life of work. I'm I'm committed to it. I I know if you're listening to this podcast this long, you must be too. And I want to thank all of you because um, if you've heard everything James has said and, and many of the things I've been saying over and over on the podcast and many guests, this is a bottom up transformation. This is not a top down. You cannot rely on your government. You can't rely on organizations and corporations. We have to start doing this right inside of ourselves, the purification process, managing your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, establishing clear values, have a clear dream. Know that if what you're working for is good for everybody, then it's probably a good thing. And, and you know, the question I always say, ask yourself, what would love do now? Before you get yourself vaccinated, do your research. Once you have both opinions on the table, say, what would love do now? Before you buy into some medical procedure or some religious ideology, always ask yourself, what would love do now? I think that's the only compass that can get us home. And the heart always delivers justice to the head. The head can never know the truth or what is honestly just without the heart involved. So I thank you all. And thank you again, James. And I look forward to sharing more with all of you real soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, James Tunney. James's new book, Plantation of the Automatons, a follow-up on his previous three books, Human Entrance to Transhumanism, Tech Bondage, and Empire of Scientism, is now available on Amazon. You can visit James online at jamestunney.com, where you can find more details about his books, artwork, and links to other interviews he has done. You can find Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. You can also watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. 
And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.